Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of February 10th, 2022, including Microsoft provides more information on Activision exclusivity in the future. Platinum Games is still interested in doing Scalebound. Will Xbox ever be able to acquire a Japanese publisher? And more. found cat hair on my Surface Pro, so it looks like I might lose another computer to overheating thanks to my cat. For those of you who you know, that makes no sense to, of course, I'm referring to, you know, my Surface Pro broke about a month ago. It overheated and the battery died or something. I, we don't really know what happened, but anyway, I had it exchanged. I sent it back to Microsoft, got a new one. We thought the reason was that my cat just loves to fucking sit on this thing like it's a bed, even though it's a cold metallic surface that should be comfortable to nobody but uh she she likes to lay on it and so i'm finding her her little hairs on it again i'm thinking oh no she's gonna break the replacement by just resting on it all the time and blocking all the vents and having it overheat i don't know i'm worried about it guys this is an xbox podcast thank you for tuning in my cat is not currently sitting on my surface, so I guess we're good for the moment, at least long enough for us to discuss all the latest happenings in the world of Xbox. So there's been a decent bit. I thought, you know, maybe, oh, we're past the Activision shit. We're past the Bungie shit. Maybe we get into that early part of the year lull where, you know, there's not too much going on and we can kind of dick off and just talk about the games we're playing and have a good time. Nope. It's always got to be video games are no longer quiet. There's no, there's no more quiet time for video games it is all the time all the crazy news even nintendo's out here today being like hey we're gonna talk about games for the first time in like a million years so guys it's just there's just no room to breathe let's let's get into it okay a couple things i want to talk about at the top of show you guys we're almost at a thousand subscribers over on youtube we're just about 900 so first of all thank you so much to those of you who have subscribed and support the show in any capacity even if you're not subscribed on youtube i really do appreciate your support even if this is just the one first time you've ever checked out the show so thank you there but if you have the ability to do so any inclination to do so any slight desire i really encourage you to go over to youtube.com xbox on podcast and hit the subscribe button we're almost at a thousand it was my stretch goal in 2014, and God damn it, we're almost there seven years later. Come on, help me. <laughs> Eight years later? God, how long has it been? So I just, want, I just want to get that out there real quick. I do a bad job of plugging myself, so a little bit of a plug. But hey, let's talk about some Xbox stuff. So I want to get into a couple things at the top of the show. These are a growing segment that I've never officially introduced, but you know, we talk about some news stories that are like mildly amusing, but aren't necessarily like things we're going to get into during the news segment. So just kind of warm-up stories, if you will. I want to talk about this one a little bit. Speaking of Nintendo, this is a story about Nintendo's president discussing kind of their take on the growing acquisition and consolidation of the industry and where they see themselves in that scene. And I really love this 
this uh, response. So let me just read through this VGC report that says Nintendo president Shintaro Furukawa has reiterated that the company plans to grow its game development capabilities organically rather than through acquisitions. With the industry going through a period of consolidation, Furukawa touched on the topic of acquisitions on Thursday, or this is last week, following the publication of Nintendo's latest financial results. He said, quote, via Bloomberg, our brand was built upon products crafted with dedication by our employees and having large numbers of people who don't possess Nintendo DNA in our group would not only be a plus to the wouldn't would not be a plus to the company. Furukawa's comments echo those made in November when they said that the company was primarily focused on organic growth in order to continue Nintendo's creative culture, but that he was not dismissing the possibility of acquiring other game companies. Now, Nintendo has acquired other companies. Obviously, they famously had Rare before they sold them to Microsoft back, you know, in the early Xbox days. They famously acquired Retro Studios, who are the guys that made the Metroid Prime games and the Donkey Kong Country Return games. Obviously, very one of Nintendo's very best studios, uh, very Western focused developer actually they're based at texas so that's very uh very not traditionally you know built from the ground up in kyoto japan kind of nintendo team and last year they was it a year or two ago they they acquired level five the people that made luigi's mansion 3 which is a weirder one because that one feels less kind of synonymous with nintendo to me but Honestly, in my opinion, that's the weirdest acquisition I can think of Nintendo's ever had. But nonetheless, I, I love this story because I just want to, I just feel like Nintendo gets it. And I, and hey, let this, there's going to be a couple examples of it this week where I'm going to give Nintendo some credit. And I, I'm usually, I, I think maybe a little too harsh on Nintendo. And I want to let this be a week where maybe Xbox can be in the hot seat and Nintendo can get a little bit of a, a little bit of recognition for the good that they do, which there's plenty of it. They're obviously Nintendo's quite possibly the most important player in this industry, right? Um, or at least historically. This is everything I'm talking about. You know, no one knows gaming better than Nintendo. And we can sit here all day and talk about how, well, PlayStation does way better than Nintendo. Yeah, they do. And, you know, Xbox has the money and the power and the capability and the tech to take gaming further into the future and be more forward-thinking with gaming than Nintendo. Yeah, that's true. I agree with all that. But Nintendo, first of all, established gaming as we know it, and I think has been able to stand the test of time and remain as relevant and active of a player as they've been because they just get what matters most more than anyone. I, I always draw the comparison of, like, Nintendo and Disney. Of course, I wouldn't say modern Disney because modern Disney fucking hates classic Disney. But Nintendo is, like, Japanese Disney if, if Disney had any self-respect and could say no to a fucking cheap cash grab every now and then. But where where it's that they they have a unique artistic ability that is so unlike anything else and so distinctively and authentically themselves in their own culture that you can't look at a Nintendo game and think, oh, uh, who makes that uh, game? Is that, um, is that, is that, uh, is that, you know, the guys that do, uh, you know, is that, is that the guys that do Gears of War? Is that the guys that do that Bayonetta game? Is that the guys that do Monster Hunter? Is that the guys that do, uh, that do Dead Rising or some shit like that? You would never mistake a Nintendo game for anything other than Nintendo. Just like how once upon a time before Disney was obsessed with owning like fucking Die Hard and the Kardashians on Disney Plus, there was a time where anything that came out of the Walt Disney Company was so authentically Disney. You could look at the art, you could see, you could hear the music, you could see the common themes and elements and story beats and and just the the 
the the nuances of anything produced by the Walt Disney Company. You just be like, that is authentically Disney. I'm not going to con- I'm not going to confuse that for anything else. And that I mean, even in my childhood, that that rang true to a certain extent. Like you wouldn't watch you wouldn't watch fucking Rio and be like, oh, that's a Disney movie because you just knew. Like that's that's clearly not Disney. It's a lot. It's cheaper. It's it's more cash grabby. It's more just kind of playing off a here and now cultural movement and not being this timeless, well thought out, creative classic the way Disney movies were. And that's, I feel like Nintendo needs more recognition for this in in the market of Xbox fanboys, uh, myself included, because this is what, you know, despite the fact that, yes, Nintendo's tired, they make the same five fucking games over and over and over again. Uh, they're getting better, but they, you know, they they do the same shit repeatedly. Um, they just literally Nintendo Switch for half of its life has just been ports of Wii U games, and there's plenty of reasons. Nintendo's been extremely curmudgeon and slow to adopt the future and online and DLC and just everything associated with what's good about modern gaming. But Nintendo obviously has stood through all this shit, withstood the era of Xbox on or of Xbox on Xbox Live, PlayStation Plus. Uh, games as a service, all these things that have become such modern conveniences of gaming because at the end of the day, you look at Nintendo, you look at their platform that has god-awful online, super outdated hardware, usually pretty fucking god-awful graphics, and everyone buys a Nintendo Switch. Why? Because their games are authentically fun and Nintendo and just about pure joy. And it's something that Nintendo gets better than anyone else in the games industry. And the reason why I want to bring this up is because Xbox, for as much as I love them and for as much as Xbox is the brand of gaming I identify with the most and it's the platform where I spend the most of my gaming time is the gaming platform where I feel most at home. Xbox probably gets this the worst. And I think these acquisitions show this further than ever before where there in and I I have a counter to this. And I know many of you probably do. So before you, you click off or start hate hating me in the comments, just just hear me out for a second. In acquiring anything and everything Xbox can get their hands on, which is essentially what we're doing at this point when you look at things like the Activision deal, there is no identity to Xbox. What about Call of Duty is Xbox? Nothing. What about Crash Bandicoot is Xbox? Certainly nothing. What about Diablo is Xbox? Nothing. The only through line to Diablo is Diablo used to be popular, most popular on PC, which is a generally a Windows-operated platform and Microsoft owns Windows and Xbox. There you go. There's the through line to Diablo and Xbox. What's the through line to Call of Duty? Before Call of Duty was more popular on PlayStation, which it's been more popular on PlayStation for a long-ass time now, it was originally more popular on Xbox during the 360 era with marketing tie-ins and Mountain Dew and Doritos promotional shit. Like, that that's the through line between Xbox and Call of Duty, Xbox and Diablo, Xbox and Warcraft. And it's just, there's just no cultural identity. So, yeah, it's cool. Xbox owns Activision. They can make some of these games exclusive. They can put all these games on Game Pass and it'll be great value for subscribers. And I guess that's all that matters at the end of the day. It really dilutes the quality of the Xbox brand and the Xbox culture. And in fact, I, I I would argue it means there is no such thing as Xbox culture. Now, let me play the flip side because I know there are a lot of you out here who are like really, really passionate about defending your brand and your color. I know green, green, green is good. So let me just give you the alternative. I You could argue, well, hey, see, Nintendo's, what you're saying is Nintendo's brightest point, what Nintendo's saving grace is actually why I think Nintendo is the weakest and why Xbox is actually 
the why Xbox is actually the best, which is that Xbox's culture is just having access to great developers and funding them and enabling them to do whatever the hell they want. So is there something about Call of Duty that just feels authentically Xbox? Maybe not. Is there something that feels authentically Xbox about fucking, I, I don't know, um, think about any of these things, compulsion games. This team that's put out two games that had, you know, worked with Xbox during the Xbox One generation, but nothing they've ever done makes people just scream Xbox the way Halo does, you know? No, maybe not, but maybe what is so authentic about Xbox or what is so special about Xbox is that they're not obsessed with making sure all their games kind of look and feel like a certain brand or company, but rather that all these companies or these teams and developers they own are well-funded, well-supported, and kind of left to to do what they want to do and be creative in the ways they see fit. And what that results in is really, really interesting games that are all super different from each other. Maybe none of them feel like whatsoever, but they allow for developers to make fantastic games and for players to have really cool experiences. I think that's a completely valid argument, and it's probably the number one argument or counter-argument you would get to the argument I'm making. But I don't know, man. I'll say as as a as someone who was a lifelong Nintendo fan until pretty recently where I've kind of fallen out of love with them, as someone who is a lifelong Disney fan and who really laments the fact that Disney doesn't hold themselves to a standard anymore and that Disney does not appreciate their own culture, their own identity at all anymore because they're more obsessed with NFTs and fucking ESPN than, you know, drawing like doing really great animated movies. I, I gotta say, I think I think the identity, I think the culture, I think the distinctive and authenticity, the distinct and authentic, sorry, the distinct and authentic representation of your company and your product matters. I think Nintendo gets that better than anyone else. You think of anything Nintendo does, even a new IP like Splatoon. Obviously, Splatoon's only been around for about five plus years now. You wouldn't play Splatoon and think anything other than Nintendo, despite the fact that it came out many, many years after Zelda or Mario or any of that shit. Splatoon feels so authentically Nintendo, whether it's from the art style or the design approach. You pick up that game, you play it, it's about pure fun, pure joy, super over-the-top polish, really wacky outside-the-box gameplay mechanics and ideas, and it is Nintendo through and through. And I think that is the saving grace and the strength of Nintendo. And that is why, aside from being a very affordable all ages kind of device and and platform and ecosystem. I think that's why Nintendo succeeds. That's why all my fucking 25, 30 year old friends right now are playing Pokemon legends and not dying light Two because they know regardless of whether you look at Pokemon and say, that's a tired IP or that's an old game. That's an old trick. We don't want that. You know, we want something cool and next gen and boundary pushing like dying light Two. Well, the numbers don't lie. Everyone fucking wants Pokemon because that game is still fun and that game is still tried and true and authentic to its unique identity that, in a way that no one else does. And obviously Dying Light 2 is performing very, very well. It's, I don't mean to say one's doing great and one's doing bad. I just mean to say there's a reason why something like Pokemon can persist and continue to do so well in an environment where you have something like Dying Light 2, which is so technically further advanced and, and ahead of anything like Pokemon because one isn't about just being next gen and new features and awesome and cool and boundary pushing. One of them is just about being really damn fun and fundamentally just connecting with you on an emotional level and hitting with these this very authentic identity that Nintendo has crafted and that Game Freak has crafted and that these Nintendo affiliated companies and brands have crafted over many, many years and have 
earned that reputation and have earned that loyal player base. I think Sony gets this better than Microsoft does by far. And I think Sony, Sony kind of does it the way Nintendo does, but a little differently where Sony's very obsessed with also having a strong continuity with their brands and their games, but they're willing to let things die. You know, there's a reason why we don't get Jack and Daxter anymore. It's because Sony's like, we don't need that anymore. We've grown past it. We've moved on. So Nintendo, Sony's different from Nintendo in that they would drop, they would drop their Mario so that they could get their Uncharted or their Last of Us. But they're very much like Nintendo in that they want to have that continuity. Sony's focus is on what if we could make Academy Award winning films, but the video game version of that. And that's why, you know, to its detriment, games like Horizon Zero Dawn, God of War, Last of Us, these games all kind of look and feel the fucking same in a way, which is my general gripe with PlayStation games. But also, it's why they all feel authentically like PlayStation experiences. It's why they're all consistently like 9 and 10 out of 10 kind of games. It's why they're consistently pushing the boundaries of storytelling and cinematics in video games. Because Sony is obsessed with maintaining and holding and... and and um, facilitating that culture and that identity that they worked really hard to build. Xbox completely lacks this. And I know this sounds like we're so far away from what we were talking about, like I'm just on a massive tangent, and you're right, I am. But I think this also plays into my point, which is that Nintendo's got the right idea. And I, I wish Xbox, you know, obviously the Xbox is playing a very different game. Nintendo is trying to sell Nintendo Switch hardware and sell games for Nintendo Switch. And that is it. That is their game, and it's simple. It is predictable. It is as plain as day to see what they're doing. And it's not a bad thing at all, but it's not the game Xbox is playing. Xbox is trying to grow the Netflix of video games. They're trying to get millions and millions and millions of people to subscribe to a service. And they're trying to get this service onto every platform. They're not limiting it to Xbox hardware. They want it on PCs. They want it on phones. They want it on PlayStation if they can get it there. So I get that it's a different game they're playing and that it requires different tactics. But man, doesn't can't can't we just as lifelong Xbox players, as fans of the brand, can't we just lament the fact that Xbox doesn't really have that identity? And I think that's there's a part of me that really like that's why I connected so much with the Xbox One generation more so than even Xbox 360 and Xbox Series X generation, even though we're not very far into the Series X generation. And even though I would say objectively, the Xbox 360 generation was of course better. But I think that's a huge reason why I love. Xbox One so much. I think that's a huge reason why I liked Nintendo Wii U so much back in the day. It's because when these, I, you see it a lot, when these brands are kind of on their on their heels a little bit, when they're in a vulnerable state, like the Xbox One, which was getting slaughtered by the competition, like the Wii U that was getting slaughtered by the competition, like the PS3 that for the first half of its lifespan was getting slaughtered by the 360 and the Wii. You see these companies have to rest, or have to never rest, have to aggressively play into the things that they have. You know, Nintendo didn't get third-party support during the Wii U. Xbox did not get love at all during the Xbox One. Of course, they got third-party titles, but they didn't. They weren't getting for you know, they weren't getting second-party games. They weren't getting third-party exclusives, and they didn't have a huge roster of first-party teams to put out a massive output of really awesome content. So we had to see them lean really hard into Halo, into Gears, into Forza. And I know a lot of people made fun of them during this generation because it was like, Xbox has no games. They just, it's always Halo and Gears, Halo and Forza, Halo and Gears, whatever. But to me, I loved it so much because I was like, this is the most of an identity that it's ever felt like, in my, in my opinion, Xbox has ever had, where it's like, they just, they don't have much, but they have to play into their identity. And it felt like Xbox was a platform and an ecosystem that had cohesion and had character to it 
You know, Xbox felt like Windows 8. Xbox felt like Connect. Xbox felt like Titanfall. Xbox felt like Halo. You know, for better or worse, and people have differing opinions on some of those things, but like, I don't know, Xbox Series X, like, I don't fucking know. It's like all this weird shit just coming to Game Pass all the time. It's like MLB The Show on Game Pass. Don't get me wrong, that's objectively an awesome thing. But like, I don't know, like playing MLB The Show on Xbox exclusive to Game Pass and no other service. Otherwise, you have to buy the game. It's like, that doesn't feel like Xbox. That just feels like games, you know? And so, again, it's not necessarily a good or bad thing. But I think this is something important that I would would think Xbox fans might be a little bit more cognizant of or at least somewhat reminiscent or nostalgic for or, or longing for, which is this more cohesive identity to the brand. And I think this is a cool way to open up the show because we have a lot of these kinds of stories coming in and out about acquisition this, update on that, trying to let big acquisition deals slide through and, and get past governments and things like that. And I just I just kind of want this context to be in, in the background while we discuss these stories, not just this week, but going forward as I'm telling you, it's, it's as any fucking gaming podcast is probably telling you right now, 2022 is just going to be a year of so-and-so bought that, this company bought that, these two teams have merged together, what the fuck is happening? And I just think that for all the good it will bring, yes, Game Pass is going to have so much value. To me, it's like, I feel like we're also losing something here, and I don't want to just completely let that slip. So, other little amusing anecdotes, uh, (laughs) Grand Theft Auto, the trilogy, Definitive Edition, you know, the broken buggy mess, has sold uh, at least 10 million copies since it was released in November, so... If you wonder why games are allowed to release in broken states all the time, well, that's that's why. And then finally, speaking of Nintendo and, and stroking their dick this week, I would like to say Nintendo just had a direct today, and they announced that they're bringing the Nintendo Wii version of Star Wars: The Force Unleashed to the Nintendo Switch. And this makes me a hypocrite in like seven different ways, but I just want to say how incredibly excited I am for this. It comes out, I think, in April. All I ever do is shit on Nintendo because they just port old games to their current hardware, but this that's what this is. All I ever do is shit on Disney because everything is Star Wars this, Star Wars that. I'm fucking tired of Star Wars. Calm down, Star Wars. We need something other than Star Wars. This is a Star Wars game. <laughs> and, you know, it's a, a fucking Switch. I'm always being hard on the Nintendo Switch and... Here, here it is, the Switch games. But I got to be honest with you, this 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 got me pretty excited. I love The Force Unleashed. I only played the Wii version a little bit because I rented it once from Blockbuster, rest in peace. But uh, I, I, I love the 360 version, played it front to back many times. So I will absolutely be um, picking this up on my Nintendo Switch. But I did want to point out what a hypocrite that makes me. So, all right, guys. With all that junk out of the way, probably already an hour into the show. But let's jump into your comments, shout outs. You know how it works. You head on over to youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast. Maybe even subscribe so we can hit that 1000 mark. And uh, you leave a nice comment. You say something like, Jesse, I appreciate you not being like the other Xbox podcast. Sometimes you just kind of stray from the news and you just talk from your heart about the brand. And as a fan of Xbox, it allows me to connect emotionally to the brand and to the podcast because I understand it's like you're not just trying to be the groundbreaking, like uh, all inside scoop guy about Xbox. Sometimes you're just trying to be a fan of the brand brand who just wants to share their love and passion for this and as a fan I can I can I can relate and also I, I sound like I'm slightly from New Jersey right now so that's kind of weird or you can leave a mean comment you can just be like, Jesse you're a dumbass Nintendo Switch is actually really dumb because the Nazis used the same chip that's in the Nintendo Switch to power um, I don't know probably some kind of crazy technology that was in a Wolfenstein game and by playing Nintendo Switch you are supporting Nazis hope your podcast gets a four-star review so it will drive you nuts and it will 
it will live rent free in your brain for the rest of forever, as they say. And I'll say, I don't even know what you're talking about, but here we are reading it on the show, so I guess you get the last laugh. Anyway, our first comment this week comes from Park C 1972, which is fun fact. In the year 1972, Disney's Magic Kingdom turned one years old. All right, Park C says, Hey Jesse, I rarely come to YouTube for podcasts, as I like to listen via Spotify on my commute to and from work, but I just noticed you're just shy of 900 subs on YouTube. Hopefully you'll push past the 1K mark in the next few months. Thank you, Parksy. What 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 a thoughtful comment. What a nice comment. That I want to let you know. That's the comment that encouraged me to speak up at the top of the show and promote myself for once. God damn it. Thank you, Parksy. Have a wonderful day. The Blunden wrote in. Why do I feel like I'm saying that wrong? 20 minutes in, and you haven't mentioned Taco Bell yet. Kind of disappointed. Anyways, looking forward to Xbox on podcast. Well, continue to not be disappointed because uh, uh, we're going to talk about Taco Bell when we get to what I've been eating, but you just just wait. Just wait. It's going to be past the 20-minute mark, though, so keep waiting. All right, let's talk about the Bungie acquisition a little bit because we got a couple comments, and we actually didn't get that much feedback on this, which was a little surprising, but maybe your amount of feedback had to do with my lack of real, like, reaction, surprise, and context for the, the situation because, honestly, at this point, man, it's like the big news story one of these weeks is going to be like, guys, breaking news, nothing happened this week. No one did. No one bought anything. Game makers just worked on games they're making, and players just played games they're playing, and no one bought anyone. No one had to get fired or changed, and no one harassed anyone at their company. They just kind of, like, made and played video games. It was a crazy fucking idea. But anyway... Zeke Robinson, sounds like some kind of freak, wrote in and says, I don't think I will ever understand why they bought Bungie. I don't know how literal you meant that, Zeke, but I mean, I think it's quite clear why they bought Bungie. And uh, and this was the praise, you know. Listen, the more Xbox pisses me off with this, with this just buy everything thing, the more I'm going to have to give credit to PlayStation where credit's due, credit to Nintendo where, where credit is due. PlayStation was super upfront and transparent about why they bought Bungie, so we don't have to sit here for 20 episodes speculating and parsing through Phil Spencer's words, trying to figure out what fucking gymnastics he was pulling with his uh, PR words. We just know why they bought Bungie. We know Sony Pictures had a huge say in it. We know Sony Pictures wants to get into more turning that really successful IP of the video game world into really successful cross-media with with streaming services and, and movies that go into theaters and make billions of dollars like Spider-Man. And so they're like, we're looking for partners like that. Bungie has been really aggressive about trying to get into cross-media. This is a perfect marriage. Also, Sony is really, really heart set on trying to get into more multiplayer centric games. They need shooters. They need games as a service type products. They need understanding and learning and culture and, 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 and training on that kind of shit to trickle into their pre-existing studios. Bungie works for them on a lot of levels. There's a lot of talent, a lot of knowledge. And we got word this past week that apparently like there's a lot of the money or half of the money that went into that $3 billion acquisition is for giving like a million dollars to most employees to try to retain talent at Bungie. It's like a huge part of the deal, which tells you that Sony is interested in not necessarily just the Destiny IP. They want the Destiny IP for Sony Studios because that's what they want it for, but they want Bungie, the team, the minds, the talent at that studio because they have they have philosophies and ways of working in things that they want to culturally trickle down into their ecosystem, into their brand, and to affect their other developers. So we know why they bought Bungie. It's pretty cut and clear. And Sony's made it pretty clear. Like, hey, Bungie games are going to continue to be on Xbox and, Bun- and Destiny's going to be untouched. We're just going to let it be a game. And we're going to let people play it wherever they're playing games. And we're going to let content continue to come out. And we're going to fuck off in that regard. And we're going to keep it kind of separate from the PlayStation brand. But yeah, in a world, we're, we're starting to see this thing where... It matters less and less 
to have companies just for the sake of gatekeeping content from other players and keeping these things more because the industry is changing. The, the, the value of the industry is, is changing. People want, it, it's kind of like what's happening in the housing market right now. Like the cost of housing is skyrocketing because people want the land that the houses are on. So we're seeing something kind of similar happen here with game development where like these game publishers are in developers are being bought up and gobbled up like crazy. Not so much for the IP or the games, but because they want the talent because the guys that made Bungie are pretty fucking important people. You made Halo and Destiny, two of gaming's most important franchises of all time. Say what you want about Destiny, but Destiny ushered in the games as a service era as we know it. That's fucking huge. I would say Destiny, and I would say this confidently, Destiny 1 is the most important game that came out during the Xbox One, PlayStation 4 generation by a mile. You think about like the biggest games that happened. On Xbox, what were the biggest games? Like Gears 5, Halo 5, Forza, Motors, Forza Horizon 3 and 4. Stuff like that. You think about PlayStation, one of the most important games that came out. Horizon Zero Dawn, Uncharted 4, God of War 2018, Spider-Man 2018. I would say Destiny was a way more important game than any of those games at all. Because it forever changed the way we approach gaming. Like, look at gaming before 2014 when Destiny came out and where we are today. You can't tell me Destiny hasn't trickled down into every fucking game you play today. Whether it's just from, like, menu and UI design or whether it's, like, end game content or loot grind or games as a service games or open world games or RPG games or just any kind of Western game. Destiny has affected pretty much everything in the industry. And Sony wants that talent. They want the people that can change the industry like that to be on their team. They want those brains working for them. Remember what shooters were like on consoles before Halo came out? That was also Bungie. They need they need that team. So that that's why. It's not about saying, fuck you, Xbox, or this is our way of getting back for buying Bethesda or Bungie, or sorry, rather, Activision. It's more like, fuck, this talent is going away. It's being gobbled up. Everyone's buying something. We at Sony cannot afford to buy an Activision. But we need really, so when you have limited money, you have to make very, very smart acquisitions and alliances and partnerships with the resources and the talent in the pool you do have. And so Bungie makes sense for Sony if you think about it in that regard. It's a lot cheaper than buying an Activision, but it's very, very high quality talent. And they want that talent more, more than the IP. But uh, let's continue on with this a little bit. Headhunting Halo says, hey, Jesse, I have a confession. I haven't listened to the last podcast, Busy Moving My House. Well, Headhunting Halo, I don't mean to be an ass, but it might be easier to move your stuff out of your house into a new house rather than to move the actual fucking house. But uh, go on. Uh, Please forgive me as I feel that Bungie going to Sony is not a big loss to Xbox at all. I have both systems, but I want Microsoft to own everything. Does that make me related to Hitler? Yes. Uh, By the way, what what happened to my grilled cheese burrito taco from Taco Bell? They took it away. Uh, Headhunting Halo... I don't know why I needed to explain this to you. I know you said you haven't been able to listen to the podcast because you've been busy. That's fine. I understand life happens. But I've said many, many times on the podcast for two years now, the grilled cheese burrito at Taco Bell comes and goes. It is a limited time item. So that's on you if you thought it was just going to stay forever. Also, even if it wasn't a limited time item, what makes you trust Taco Bell enough at this point to think anything on that menu is safe? Nothing is sacred at Taco Bell. You could come there tomorrow and they could take tacos off the menu. That's how flippant they are with the fucking menu offerings all the time at that restaurant. So headhunting Halo, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be so callous, but like the onus is on you when it comes to that one. So anyway, um, 
but yes, you are related to Hitler. Mr. Miggy rounds us out with the bungee comments and says, Yay, you had Chicken Guy. It is good shit. Mr. Miggy, may I remind you? I've had Chicken Guy many, many times. This is just the most... Re- it's been a while since I had ch- I've had Chicken Guy. But oh yeah, Chicken Guy is good shit. Mr. Miggy, next time... You, you've been to Orlando a couple times since you, since you started listening to the pod. Please, for the love of God, take me take me a Chicken Guy. Let's, let's have a date, Chicken Guy. You and me. I'll get one of those mint chocolate chip milkshakes and we can... Lady in the Trampet, what do you say? Uh, anyway, you you follow you, you you continue on. Also, although Sony doesn't have fuck you money like Microsoft, they seem to know how to go for the jugular. First Insomniac, along with making Spider-Man exclusive, and now Bungie. Mr. Miggy, I, I guess I guess I had to kind of assume or 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 draw information from your comment based on context, but I assume what you're saying is that in a way they're kind of getting back at Microsoft by acquiring teams like Insomniac who were working with Microsoft before they were bought by Sony or teams like Bungie who have a massive history with Microsoft. I'm guessing that is what you're alluding to here, but you could also just be talking about how they just they just know how to buy the most important talent, in which case I would agree. I think Sony, you know, Nintendo doesn't buy talent for the most part. They just cultivate it from within respectable xbox just buys anything with a fucking heartbeat because they can put on game pass less respectable but they're again they're playing a different game i understand why they do it the way they do it it's fine and sony does do acquisitions but they do them very carefully and they do them very deliberately where they work very closely with teams generally they make sure there's a lot of reason for them to be buying this team there's a lot to offer for sony there's a lot of cross-cultural influence for the team they're going to acquire compared to their other teams so yeah i mean insomniac insomniac is a team sony you gotta think sony probably tried to buy insomniac many times especially during like the ps3 generation i think it was probably one of those things where uh, we know it was one of those things where insomniac wanted to remain independent for a long time that's why they left sony for a while and went to Microsoft to go do Sunset Overdrive because they really wanted to own their own IP and remain isolate or remain independent. And it it looks like they came back to Sony and were like, "Hey, we did the independent thing. We did the whole retain our IP and go play with someone else thing. We miss you. We like you. We liked working with you." So Sony can't be that bad if Insomniac chose being bought out by Sony over remaining independent, having their complete autonomy, being able to own their IP and work with whoever they see fit. So yeah, Sony Sony absolutely knows what they're doing. I, I would say Microsoft gets bigger deals because they have the money to buy a Bethesda. They have the money to buy an Activision. Sony gets higher quality deals because they buy the teams that make the most sense and that they're going to get more bang for their buck in the long run. Because guess what? I would rather have Insomniac on Xbox than all of Activision. I'm just saying, man. And guess what? They bought Insomniac for like $250 million. So like less than a fucking percent, basically, of what they... um. I actually don't know. That, that math's probably not right. But uh, let's, let's move on to the rest of the comments. Temple Knight writes in and says, let's talk about an acquisition that matters far more than Activision and Blizzard or Bungie with Sony. The acquisition of, I'm, of course, talking about is my acquisition of a bottle of Mountain Dew Spark. It was okay if you want lemonade soda, not a huge fan. I thought the gingerbread holiday edition offered a more interesting flavor that was actually pretty good. Fuck you, Temple Knight. Don't you ever say that. And as we discussed prior, I thought last year's voodoo was excellent. And he did that emoji where it's like the emoji, whatever. Contrary to your outrageous opinions of it, Temple Knight, let me let me say, I hope that you get acquired by Sony so we don't ever see you on this podcast again. Because first you have the audacity to be like, oh man, I'm not a huge fan of this this uh this Mountain Dew Spark, but it's okay if you want to eliminate soda. I'm like, okay, 
I, I agree with that take. That's a pretty in line with Jesse take. But then you go and defend the awful 22 var- 2021 variant of Voodoo along with the even worse holiday gingerbread flavor. They, those were atrocious. Both of those were undrinkable. The fact that they were Mountain Dew flavors and I couldn't finish a single can of either one. Temple Knight, you don't always have to agree with me on everything. I'm okay. I know a lot of people are like, Jesse, you're kind of mean about Xbox and the acquisition stuff. Personally, as an Xbox fan, I'm excited for this. Let's just try to be positive. I get that. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to agree to disagree on that. But when it comes to Mountain Dew, my opinion is king. And so Temple Knight, you will either bend to my will and accept my opinions of my of Mountain Dew as implicit truth, or you will cower down, you will run from this earth, find a cave, and dwell there for the rest of your life, cut off from civilization until I say otherwise, and I won't. The best holiday flavor was uh, Merry Mashup, by the way. Not Merry Mashup. It was, uh, what was that? God, what was that one? It was literally just half Mountain Dew Code Red, half regular Mountain Dew. And they're like, fuck it, Merry Christmas, red and, re- red and green. That one was so, it was just so like, <laughs> anyone could make that. But it was good. I loved it. Simplistic, true to form. Temple Knight, get out of here. You disgust me now. All right. Josiah, my brother, wrote in, also known as Cronky, and says, I think the fact that Xbox is publishing a certain affinity game when they just acquired like 800 other studios is interesting. I vastly prefer this idea of publishing games for independent studios to be exclusive on Xbox as opposed to buying the studios. Wow, Josiah, I sure do agree with that take. Wouldn't that be nice if they just worked with teams that made sense and got cool exclusive content for their console instead of just buying up all the talent away from everyone. And then maybe if a, a relationship grows to a point where it makes sense and everything, you know, checks out, maybe they uh, tie the knot and purchase them. That sure would be nice. Tech Daddy rounds us out for the week and says, why can't we play as the Covenant, the Banished, or even the Flood in Halo multiplayer? Wait, why am I asking a Halo question to a Call of Duty fan? And Tech Daddy, I will remind you as I respond to this comment prior... I'm not a Call of Duty fan. I'm a Black Ops fan. So get it right. Also, playing as the Flood in Halo multiplayer would be both hilarious and miserable. So guys, that's going to do it for all of our comments, shoutouts, whatnot from this week. Remember, for next week, don't be shy. Reply. Next, let's jump into what I've been playing. But before I can tell you about that, i got to tell you about what I've been eating. And to make good on a promise to the Blunden, we're going to talk about Taco Bell. Because this past week, I tried the new crispy chicken tender tacos from Taco Bell. And i got to say... You may remember, you might remember about six months or so, whatever it was, maybe last summer or something like that. Who can remember? Taco Bell had the chicken sandwich taco, crispy chicken, whatever. It was basically just like half a burger bun with a chicken tender shoved in and some Taco Bell sauce. And I was like, oh, they're good, but it tastes like KFC. This is not Taco Bell. Pass. Well, now they're bringing back those chicken tenders, but they're putting it in a Taco Bell tortilla soft shell taco with other toppings and sauce. These are much better. This is what I'm talking about. I love it. Keep the fried chicken tenders on the menu, but put them in a more conventional Taco Bell package. I like these. They're good. There's two variants. There's like a creamy ranch avocado one, and there's like a spicy ranch one. I asked for the avocado ranch. They gave me the spicy one. I'm pretty sure because it was pretty spicy for avocado, but either way, it was delicious. I don't care. I would have liked either flavor, so I'm not complaining, and uh, I got to go back and try the other one or maybe just order one of each to make sure I didn't pick the wrong one I don't know but these are really good these are damn good and um, they're not like please stay on the menu good they're not like I hope they bring these back again and again good but they are like you should definitely give these a try while they're here for a limited time now I will say just like with the crispy chicken sandwich taco thing they did last time those were like 
basically a KFC menu item on the Taco Bell menu. This is a little different in that it is a taco, it is a tortilla shell, it does make sense on the Taco Bell menu, but there's something about this combination of flavors that really brings me back to the chicken ranch wraps at Cookout. Now, many of you might be going, what the hell is Cookout? I think we've talked about it on the show before, but Cookout, for those not familiar, is a southeast chain of fast food restaurants. They're from North Carolina, um, but when I was living in Georgia, they were kind of booming all over Georgia. They were really expanding into the Atlanta market. So especially during my uh, college days, we had cookout pretty much everywhere, and I was able to easily get it all the time. And as someone who was working in restaurants until 2 a.m., you better believe I, I ended up at the uh, cookout drive through many, many, many nights during my college year. So the chicken ranch wrap was this delectable little treat. It was a dollar. It is a flour tortilla. It is a chicken tender. And then they put some ranch dressing, some shredded cheese, and some lettuce, and they call the fucking day. You order four or five of them bitches, and you have yourself a wonderful night after a long, miserable shift of being a waiter. And you go, God, I hate my life. And then you buy into one of those things, and you go, God, I love life. And then that's kind of what Taco Bell's recreating here. So here in Florida, where I live now, we don't have access to the uh, the cookouts. But... Taco Bell has given us a little a little taste of cookout on their menu, and they're keeping it true to the Tex-Mex format by uh, not putting it on a fucking burger bun this time. So shout out to the crispy chicken uh, tacos from Taco Bell. If you're not getting them, you're a freaking loser. Probably one of those guys that didn't get offered to be bought out by Microsoft to be put on Game Pass. So sucks to be you. Meanwhile, I just made $3 billion. I'm going to Game Pass tomorrow, you dumb bitches. But don't worry, I'm staying on PlayStation also. All right, now let's get into what I've been playing. Guys, this is kind of interesting because for the first time, I'm not going to just say, I don't know, fucking Nazi zombies or Halo or something. I'm actually going to talk about two games that are relatively new games that I played and that are not games I'm going to probably be talking about down the line because they're new games that I'm playing and moving on from because I'm kind of staying in the know. I'm staying in the loop on all the latest releases for the Xbox platform. Crazy. Well, the first one we I think we talked about last week a little bit. I started The Gunk, although last week I told you I'm just about an hour in. Haven't really done much. I think it's cool. This week, I've played through The Gunk. It took me, they say it's about a four-hour run through. It probably took me about four and a half hours because I'm just slow at gaming, but I loved this game so much through and through. The Gunk is a really, really great game. I'm telling you right now, if you are an Xbox owner, if you have a Game Pass subscription, if you have anything larger than a tiny penis, you need to play this game. You need to play this game. This is, it might be timed, it might come to Switch or PlayStation or something at some point in the future, but for now, it's an Xbox exclusive. And this is a great game. This is by the guys that made the SteamWorld Dig and the SteamWorld Heist games on the 3DS. Um, very popular indie games. Um, and this game is phenomenal. It is... It, it got it got pretty, like, solid reviews, like 7 out of 10s and stuff like that. I, I would rate this game higher. To me, this game is a, is a really, really... It's not a groundbreaking um, platformer by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a really, really, really solid platformer on a video game console that severely lacks good platformers. It's 3D platforming, very creative, very unique, very pretty art style, very cute, charming world, and fun characters, and banter, and well-written, well-acted. Uh, it's very cute. It's about these uh, two girls that land on this planet. They're kind of just, like, trying to... I, I, there's there's only context into, like, the world they live in. You know, All you know is that they are human and that the planet Earth has basically been destroyed. The game is basically a, a, a thinly veiled metaphor for, you know, um, pollution and global warming. And all you can really glean from the context and all the explorables and collectibles in the game and things like that is that essentially humanity lost the planet Earth due to neglecting it and not taking care of it and not heeding the warning of global 
warming and all this shit. And we are now in space and colonizing other places and existing in other parts of the of the solar system. And you come across this this planet where you had to land because you're trying to scrap for parts to get your ship kind of back up and running. And uh, you're running low on fuel and resources. And basically, you're, you play as this girl who um, one of her she's lost one of her arms and it is replaced by this like Luigi's Mansion Ghostbusters like hand cannon sucky thing. And she discovers like this gooey shit that like covers the planet. And it's called they call it the gunk. And it's like you, you realize like there's this beautiful planet with this, like, this wildlife and this natural uh, in, native inhabitants that basically are being. Um, imprisoned and 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 having their planet and their resources depleted and destroyed and anyway it's a very simple very thinly veiled plot about global warming a little fable for all of us humans here who uh don't recycle our plastic but it is a very very fun game and they do a great job of taking these story elements and molding them into really fun mechanics and very fun light 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 puzzle solving and really interesting competent platforming and I, I love this game. It has upgrade system. You collect things. You scan things, kind of like Metroid Prime. So it's got a little bit of that exploratory, backtracking Metroid Prime thing going on where you can unlock things and then upgrade parts of your, uh, your, your, your ability and your suit and all that and your visor. And then it's got fun platforming. It's got light puzzle solving, which is really rewarding. It makes you feel kind of smart, even though it's pretty straightforward. And then it's got, like, light combat, but it's not, like, hand-blasty gun combat. It's, like, cool, like suck up this thing and throw it at that guy and suck up this little enemy and throw it at a bigger enemy and then like go to the enemy find their weak spot and like suck the gunk out from them so they're not bad guys anymore it's really like cutesy stuff it feels kind of like in like like luigi's mansion meets metroid prime meets uh just a basic 3d platformer and uh i i love it i think this game is so much fun it was a really really fun pleasing four four and a half hours of my life glad i did it and uh i i Fully recommend this game. It's called The Gunk. It is a great little weekend joy. And again, if you have Game Pass, you have Xbox, guys, shooters are a dime a dozen. Western RPGs, a dime a dozen. Open world games, oh my God, you can't see me. It's an audio podcast, but I'm putting a fake gun in my mouth and pulling the fake trigger. I'm so, God, yeah, open world games. No, play The Gunk. Enjoy something different. Tell Xbox, hey, we want more of this shit. This is like the first platformer we've got since Super Lucky's Tale, guys. Come on. All right. The other game I've been playing this week. <laughs> now, I put a poll up on Twitter. I said, guys, what should I play this week? Am I going into Dying Light 2, which I've been really looking forward to? Or am I going into Far Cry 6, which is, you know, another game I've been meaning to get around, but I was waiting for a price drop. Well, Far Cry 6 is on sale. It's 30 bucks this week. Okay. Half off. I'm down. Uh, Dying Light 2 came out. I really want to play this game. I've been waiting for it. It was intended to be a day one purchase for me. So I took to Twitter and I said, poll time, guys. Which are, which were we playing? I thought you guys were going to just say Dying Light 2 and that Far Cry 6 was going to get swamped. But no, it was actually a pretty close call. Dying Light 2 did win. Don't get me wrong. It did win. I went with Far Cry 6 because, well, here's why. Dying Light 2 apparently has a lot of bugs and issues. I don't know how serious and severe they are. I don't mind minor bugs and glitches, but I don't want to run into any broken saves or crazy shit like that. So I was like, you know what? I could just get Far Cry 6 for half off, enjoy it now, and then in a month or two, I can just get fucking Dying Light 2 and it'll probably be $45 or something, save some money. Might as well just respect my wallet wait for a couple patches to come out and buy the game when it's on its first sale. I don't need to be a part of the conversation and be there on the ground day one. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I put, I'm a real gamer, guys. I'm a real gamer. I play Dying Light 2, so it's okay. I feel like I'm missing out a little bit. I do like to be a part of the conversation. I do like to be a part of the day one user base of a, of a new game. I'm anticipating, don't get me wrong. But um, 
I'm trying to be a little more fiscally responsible. So I said, let's go with Far Cry. It's had months. It's, it's been on the market for a few months now. So it has its patches. It should be in good running shape. It's half off right now. I love me some Far Cry. I was very disappointed in Far Cry 5. Let's see if it's any better. I know a lot of people. It's like people who didn't play it say it sucks. And people who did play it say it's actually pretty good. Let's see it. All right. Far Cry 6 is really good, guys. I got to be honest with you. I was, as I just said, I was very disappointed in Far Cry 5. I feel like that game gets away from the charm and the beauty and the simplicity and the gameplay loop that makes Far Cry so fun by being like, you have to do all this bullshit in this area to do this one mission to unlock this part of the map because you got to do all three of these these sections in order to reach the main guy. And it, it, it makes like all the content mandatory and it's not fun and takes out the hunting and the pelting options and it just kind of makes the game really stupid. All the missions are paint by numbers and kind of rehashes of things we've seen in Far Cry games prior and I just, I wasn't feeling it. And it still had the, the age-old Far Cry issue of really cool villain, introduce him at the front of the game, Villain disappears for the entirety of the game, and then the last hour they show up out of the clear blue sky and like, hey, remember me? Whoa, I'm the bad guy. So Far Cry 5, I had no hope for Far Cry 6, especially because I, I, I just don't like Ubisoft a lot usually. But dude, Far Cry 6 is good. And I got to say, is I, I was hearing so much negativity around this game, I was probably even lending a little bit to the negativity because I like to hate on Ubisoft, but Far Cry 6 is good. Far Cry 6 feels like, taking Far Cry 3 and 4, which are my favorite Far Cry games, and just modernizing the hell out of them from a gameplay standpoint. I, as someone who plays Far Cry on Xbox, not PC, so I can talk about aiming on a console, on a controller, aiming feels way snappier, way more intuitive, way more like an actual console FPS, like a Halo, and a lot less like one of those shitty games where it's like, it's in first person, but you can tell we only optimized it for PC. Far Cry games traditionally never felt that good from a shooting standpoint, but it feels really good. Like the aim assist is fine-tuned and everything. It feels really good in Far Cry 6 to just use guns and fight, so I love that so much. The environment feels very reminiscent of Far Cry 3, and it just, it feels kind of like Feels kind of like a like a step back to the the norm, back to its roots, if you will. Unlike Far Cry Five, yes, you still get to pick boy or girl, but unlike Far Cry Five, it's not just some blank canvas character. We're like, whoa, I get to choose their skin color. I'm so diverse. It's like you actually get to play as an interesting, unique character. So you play as a character named Danny. You just select whether or not Danny is male or female, and then Danny's a cool character. I shouldn't say cool character. Danny's kind of, he's, he's whatever. He's not hes not a great character, but he's not a bad character. He's hes serviceable so far. I'm only like five hours into the game. So I, I like this a lot because the thing I loved about Far Cry games is, in prior Far Cry games, is that they tell you what character you are and it's important to the story because you get to see what a piece of shit your character actually is in the grand scheme of the game. That was kind of the whole fun of Far Cry 3 and 4 is here's a crazy fucking enemy and you're just this innocent guy thrown into the situation. And then by the end of the game, you're like, you know what? That crazy villain isn't as crazy as I thought. And that innocent guy you play as is kind of a piece of shit. And that was like what was really great about Far Cry 3 and 4 from a story standpoint. It's like, especially Far Cry 4, where it's just like you think you're like fighting this like tyrant, this dictator, this evil man. And then you realize it's like, oh, this is like white American man goes to goes across the world and start like imperializing this other nation and just being like, I can fix this. And just kind of Vietnam's the whole situation and fucks everything up. That was the beauty of Far Cry 4 was like holding a mirror to the world and being like, when you play games, you are just like Rambo fucking everything up. You, you cause more harm than you do good. And like, that was the cool thing. But then Far Cry 5 removes that. And it's just like, nah, you get to make your own character. You get to choose how many outfits they wear, express yourself. And then your character is two dimensional, 
has zero lines, does nothing interesting, says nothing interesting, and then has zero play off the villain. And it sucked. It sucked. It sucked. It sucked. I hate character creation. Create cool characters. Stop being lazy, developers. Let me be a cool character. Create a cool character for me to play as. I don't want to be myself. If I wanted to be myself, I would turn off my Xbox and go outside and get hit by a car. I want to be someone else. Let me play as someone else. So Danny is a much better character than Far Cry 5 because he has an identity. He has a personality. He plays into the game. He plays off the other characters. So it's cool. So far, he hasn't shown himself to be anything special, but again, I'm only like five hours into the game, so we'll see where it goes. I will say it still does have the age-old Far Cry issue of like, really cool villain introduced at the front of the game. Now he's completely disappeared, and I probably won't see him again until the end of the game. That just seems to be a problem Far Cry cannot fix at this point, so whatever, I guess. Um, but I'm just really thrilled with this game because it plays a lot better than Far Cry 5. It feels a lot better than Far Cry 5. You feel a lot more free to play the game and approach the world in the way you want. It's It has other things you can do, build out this this camp and, and do all this like mechanical shit and building this and acquiring this and leveling up this and all the RPG and simulator kind of bullshit you can do if you want. It's all optional. But you can also just play the campaign missions at your own leisure fuck around attack it stealthily attack it guns ablazing however you want just play the fucking game and enjoy it and that's what far cry 6 has been for me so far and i'm really really digging it because of that so far cry 6 this game got a bad rep i'm really enjoying the hell out of it um i hope if you are like me like me and you are a lapsed far cry fan maybe you will give far cry 6 a try and be like hey this is actually a lot better than the last game uh if not that's okay. There are plenty of other great games to play. I'm sure many of you are enjoying Dying Light 2, which I also really want to get around to. But, you know, I can wait. So that's it for what I've been playing, guys. That's it for what I've been eating. That's it for what you guys have been saying in the comments. And that's it for all the weird Nintendo cucking I just did for some reason for 20 minutes at the front of the show. Now with all that out of the way, we got a noxious amount of news to get to. So let's let's jump right in, babies. All right, so this first story is kind of a, a bit of a doozy here because a lot of outlets took this story and gleamed some really, I guess, the more important chunk of the news and then <laughs> kind of ignored the rest of this, this statement where the news comes from, which is a whole other story in and of itself. So let's jump into it. Microsoft, and this isn't Xbox, this is Microsoft, like Big Daddy, Top Dog Microsoft, posted an extensive blog about their position in the marketplace being someone in, who has an ecosystem in an app store with the Xbox store and how they want to make that open and fair to other developers and make it accessible and equal. Basically, this is them getting in front of the bullet in the in, in the whole. This is them basically getting ahead of all the regulata- regulation shit they're about to deal with with this acquisition of Activision and trying to be like, okay, well, this is what we're doing to make everything fair and this is what we're doing to make things accessible to players and developers. But from this, we can glean a lot of information. So I'm going to start by reading VGC's report of this story, which talks about, I think, the part most people are interested in. And I'm going to read some actual content directly from the article itself. So we can talk about some things I think are pretty relevant to the story. Uh, So starting with the first part, VGC reports that Microsoft have claimed it will continue to release Activision Blizzard games like Call of Duty on PlayStation platforms beyond existing agreements, as previously stated. Activision Blizzard will reportedly committed to releasing at least the next three COD games on PlayStation consoles as part of a marketing agreement that was signed before the $69 billion acquisition by Xbox maker Microsoft. However, in a new blog post published on Wednesday addressing Microsoft's future policies and where it's headed in its content, President Brad Smith indicated that at least some Activision Blizzard games would continue to release on PlayStation in the future. Quote, 
First, some commentators have asked whether we will continue to make popular content like Activision's Call of Duty available on platforms like Sony's PlayStation. The obvi- this is an obvious concern, and Microsoft could easily make this type this is, the obvious concern here is that Microsoft can make this title available exclusively on Xbox consoles, undermining opportunities for PlayStation users. To be clear, Microsoft will continue to make Call of Duty and other popular Activision titles available on PlayStation through the term through the term of an existing agreement with Activision. And we have committed to Sony that we will also make them available on PlayStation beyond that existing agreement and into the future so that Sony fans can continue to enjoy the games that they love. The executive added that Microsoft is also interested in taking similar steps to support Nintendo's successful platform as well. He concluded with, we believe the right thing to do for the industry. This is the right thing to do for the industry, for gamers and for our business. It's worth noting though that Microsoft's statement stops short of committing to releasing all Activision Blizzard titles for PlayStation, so it could still keep some exclusive content to Xbox. There's already some precedent for Microsoft continuing to release games on rival platforms, as we've seen with Minecraft on PlayStation and Bethesda's deal that sees Ghostwire Tokyo and Deathloop being timed exclusives on PlayStation 5 before they can come to Xbox. Elder Scrolls Online is also continuing to be supported on PlayStation platforms. However, Microsoft has also confirmed that Bethesda's big future exclusive games like Starfield and Redfall and Elder Scrolls 6 will all be exclusive to Xbox and PC. So not always a guarantee which way the wind will blow. Next, after we talk about this stuff that we just finished up with, I will jump into the rest of the article and we can talk about the other important stuff. Now, at first I saw this news, my knee-jerk reaction was, okay, so basically what's happening here is Sony's getting a pat on the back because last week they announced they're buying Bungie and they were very transparent to the point where their announcement was basically them starting with, hey, by the way, we're not taking anything away from Xbox. We're not making anything exclusive to PlayStation. This is all staying as as you know. And it was really transparent and it was really direct. And they started a really huge, important announcement by basically just saying, fuck you, investors. Fuck you, developers. Fuck you, everyone else. Gamers, players, we are doing this thing for you. And we're explaining exactly what it means for you. We're not beating around the bush. And that kind of seemed like, in a way, a dig at Microsoft and what Microsoft's been doing with their announcements, particularly Phil Spencer and being the fucking king of talking out of both sides of his mouth and kind of saying a whole lot of everything and yet a whole lot of nothing. And so at first I I saw this news and I was like, oh, this is Xbox responding to that being like, okay, guys, you need transparency. We don't want to lose that really big optic award we've been getting lately. So uh, yeah, he, oh yeah, transparency. We're we're not going to keep Call of Duty away from PlayStation players forever. But then I thought more about it, and you read the rest of the article from which it came from, or the, the blog post from which it came from, and you see that what this really seems to me like is Microsoft trying to get in front of the bullet and put everything out on the table and, and be as open and, and competition-friendly and consumer-friendly as humanly possible before this deal starts going under under the microscope and under the scrutiny of regulatory eyes to see is this is this uh, overreach for Microsoft to acquire Activision is this too too much power for any one company is this in any way shape or form a, a monopoly on the industry and I think I think this is act this is I think this is Microsoft basically just trying to get in in front of all of that so. I guess there's not really much to say on this other than to say, yes, Microsoft's already reiterating that, yes, Call of Duty will continue to come to PlayStation and other titles will continue to come to PlayStation, but not everything. Because notice, again, how even in this attempt to be very clear, they're still a little dodgy because they they basically say, 
most things, but then they don't allude to everything, but then they don't specify what most things or some things are. So we're still left kind of guessing. So it clarifies without really clarifying. Pretty classic Microsoft in that regard, huh? But I think we can get a lot more context for the big picture if we go over the other content of this blog post. So the big point here was about setting the new App Store principles for Microsoft Store on Windows and on Xbox going forward. So they say in their blog post, Quote, we have developed these principles in part to address Microsoft's growing role and responsibility as we start the process of seeking regulatory approval in capitals around the world for our acquisition of of Activision Blizzard. The regulatory process begins while many governments are also moving forward with new laws that promote competition in app marketplaces beyond. We want regulatory regulators and the public to know that we as a company at Microsoft are committed to adapting to these new laws and with these new principles and we're moving to do so. So let's stop there. First of all, this is already addressing so first of all, this is already addressing the bigger picture, which isn't Sony, it's not PlayStation gamers, it's not even gamers directly. This is appealing to most importantly, I think governments. That's 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 why this announcement is on Microsoft's website and not the Xbox Wire because this isn't about gaming and gamers. This is about bigger pictures. This is about media outlets. This is about governments. This is about Microsoft being really transparent, putting their cards on the table and being like, yes, we're buying a really, really, really big part of the gaming industry and we're already a really, really big part of the gaming industry. And we're about to consolidate a massive portion of this games industry all together under one roof. But here's how we're being very non-competitive. Here's how we're being very consumer friendly. Here's how we're being very friendly to the competition and to the developers and being accessible to all and being very fair. This is how we're not a monopoly, and that's kind of what they're doing here. Now, I'm going to get back to the monopoly thing because I'm not talking about monopoly in the way people are thinking, so don't don't get upset by my usage of that word yet. Continuing on, as we've said in other occasions, we recognize that that we're emerging in a new era of tech regulations, and it begins with both benefits and risks, not just for a single company, but for the entire industry. As others have pointed out, there are new risks with any regulation, and these deserve a fair hearing and thorough consideration. But as a company, we are continuing to be more focused on adapting to regulation that is fighting more than fighting against it. This is part in part because we have been adapting for two decades to antitrust rules and we've learned from our experience. While we ch- while change is not easy, we believe that the possibility to adapt new rules and innovate successfully or that they have the ability to do so. We believe it's possible for governments to adopt new tech regulation and promote competition while also protecting fundamental values like privacy and national cybersecurity. So I, I kind of want to say this point, but let me just get into it now because here, here's the thing. And I'm, I'm th- this is one of those things where I'm like, oh, I'm glad I listened to that podcast. Windows Central talked about this a little bit, and I, I'm not a, a buff on Microsoft as a whole of a company, so it's nice to have this kind of insight. But Microsoft has stayed in the good graces of the government for a long time, which is kind of funny because you think back to like the Apple Microsoft lawsuits uh, back in the 90s where these two companies fucking hated each other. And back then, Microsoft was kind of hated and they, the government didn't trust them. They were this big tech company. They were threatening. There was a lot of antitrust and a lot of like privacy concerns and competitive concerns and monopolistic concerns. And Microsoft was not seen well by regulators, by the government, by the public in a lot of ways. So it's funny to think how we got to this point where we are today, where Apple and Google and Amazon, all these companies are kind of under close consideration, under close watch. 
And Microsoft's like the good big old tech conglomerate that's like pat on the head. Microsoft, you're so cute with your Azure and your cloud infrastructure and your little suit and tie. You're going to go make a Word document or Excel spreadsheet. You're so so cute, so innocent, Microsoft. Anyway, uh, Google, Amazon, your app stores, your, uh, you guys are getting too big. You guys are doing things, privacy information, sharing shit. What, what, what's going on here? But, I mean, the reality of it is like, dude, Microsoft's a big tech company. They do the same shit as Google. They do the same shit as Apple. Like we can get into the nitty gritty on which one of these companies is marginally more ethical or marginally better. But at the end of the day, these are all massive conglomerations that have generational wealth and, and, and world changing wealth that uh, continue to have their products built by slave labor in China and places like that. So it's like, I mean, they're all equally evil, you know, but you, you look at the way this is this is worded and, and what they're specifically addressing and talking about. This is Microsoft smartly and interestingly getting ahead of regulators, ahead of the government. This is them being so good at working through these kinds of things that they get ahead of it and they work on addressing any potential concerns before regulators start getting their hands on these things so that it looks like there's fewer things to scrutinize, there's fewer things to concern about and to worry over. And it helps them breeze through this process without having to really you know, ruffle any feathers or, or take any negative PR or have to have any pushback or fight or concessions whatsoever. And the reason why I brought the Windows Central podcast, thank God for that show. Uh, Dan Rubino, the host of the show, uh, really interesting show, really interesting podcast host, was talking about how, you know, Microsoft has gotten, they, they reacted so much to that, that Apple lawsuit in the 90s that it's kind of become a huge part of Microsoft. They have entire teams dedicated simply to lobbying in D.C., uh, to politicians about things they think would be beneficial to the tech industry, different kind of regulations, different kind of um, things to be aware of, things that they think are a concern, threats, things that might evolve into concerns down the road. And they've been really big on things like cybersecurity and AI and, and just all these kinds of things that people see as looming threats or presence in the tech space. And they have massive teams of people whose job it is to work with politicians on coming up with regulations and coming up with fair principles and kind of and legislative rulings to guide the tech industry over the years. And so this is not talking about Xbox, talking about Microsoft. This is kind of their bread and butter in a way. This is something they're or not bread and butter, but this is kind of right up their alley. This is something they're suited to do that they've done before. And so what this blog post is, is not a way of saying, hey gamers, don't worry. You're sure going to get Call of Duty on PlayStation. So you don't got to buy an Xbox. We're not that evil. It's really their way of saying like, hey governments, pay attention to us. We're so cool. We're so non-competitive. We're so open to respecting you and taking on any kind of regulation or concern you might have in putting that concern at to rest and in easing your your worry in any way. And that's what this is actually all about. Now I don't condone lo- I think lobbying is fucking evil. I think it's terrible. But I don't I don't well I'm not condoning these things. I'm just trying to explain simply like what the situation at hand is. And so, you know, obviously you can tell probably by the way I'm speaking, I'm a little bit outside my uh my wheelhouse here. Um, since we're not talking about Sonic the Hedgehog video games, but I just want to say that that's kind of what we're talking about. So how does all that tie back to this acquisition, tie back to gamers? Well, specifically what Xbox is talking, or what Microsoft's talking about here is that they think the gaming industry is about to go from a global 2.8 billion consumers to 4.5 billion consumers, you know, almost doubling by the year 2030, eight years from now. And 
As such, they want to implement new app store policies and principles to get that that they will abide by both on the Microsoft store as well as the Xbox store going forward. And this is to help make them look like the good guys and make them look like they're friendly, open to competition. They're open to their uh, their competitors and all that. And so what they outline here are 11 new like self-regulations and, and, and new policies for their stores. And they say the first seven are being implemented across Microsoft App Store and the Xbox effective immediately. And that the other the other um the other four are changes that they are actively working on for future for the future. So I want to go through these a little bit and kind of talk about how these pertain to Xbox as we know now. Because first of all, they they kind of categorize them. So first they're talking about quality, safety, and security. They talk about new principles like enabling developers to access app stores as long as they meet reasonable and transparent standards. So if you want to put a game on Xbox, as long as you meet their their bar for quality and it's reasonable and safe to put put it on the store, it's not malware or whatever, sure, we'll put your game on the store. They want to continue to protect consumers and games who use the uh, the app store by ensuring that developers meet standards for security to keep the consumer safe. They want to continue to respect the privacy of the consumer themselves in the app store by giving control of managing how their data is used. Now, a lot of these might sound like things that are already in place and set in stone, and they are. Again, this is written for legislators. This is written for governments. This is a way of saying, look at all the things we're doing for the consumer, for the market, for the competitor, for the developer to make this a safe and accessible place. We're not gobbling up and monopolizing the industry because look, anyone can put their game on Xbox. Look, we're not risking anyone's personal data or anything. Anyone can control how their data is collected and used. So many of these things are things we're already accustomed to and we already know pre-exists, at least in some form or shape, shape or form. But it gets more interesting as we move into it. They also talk about accountability. They holding their apps to the same standards as other apps, not showing favoritism where they over promote their products over a competitor's products. So for example, Destiny is going to be a PlayStation or a Sony owned product, you know, not pushing Destiny down to where it's hard to find the store because Sony makes money off of that and promoting Elder Scrolls 6 because Microsoft makes money off of that in competition. They're saying how they won't do things like that. They'll be fair again. This is what my concern was the other week. This self-regulatory bullshit. It's like, okay, who's going to hold them accountable for this? They're they're just saying they're going to play nice. But anyway, uh, fairness and transparency. We will treat all apps equally on our app store uh, without unreasonable preferencing or ranking our apps or our business partners' apps over others. We will be transparent about rules and promotions and marketing in our apps and apply these consistently and objectively. All right, and here's where they get to the new ones that might sound a little different. Eight, we will not require developers in our app store to use our payment system in to process in-app payments. So think about buying V-Bucks in Fortnite on Xbox. Xbox don't, doesn't necessarily need to get a rip of that. They don't necessarily need to use their in-store in payment process. They can use a... Basically what they're saying, I think, in some ways that like... Epic could redirect you outside of the Xbox ecosystem into like a web browser to buy V-Bucks so that they don't have to give Microsoft a rip of in-app purchases, hypothetically. The reason why I use Fortnite as the example is because this is kind of in direct response to the Apple and Epic lawsuit that happened last year. And again, they're trying to address those kinds of concerns that are on the minds of government officials and legislators right now by saying like, we know what your concerns are when it comes to quote unquote tech and quote unquote gaming. We're addressing all those concerns. It's because 
They're saying, we know you guys, you're not techies, you're not gamers, you don't know this shit, you just know big tech bad and games industry has issues. So we're just going to alleviate any concerns you might have by addressing those issues you're already familiar with and by putting your mind at ease and saying those things you already know about with this industry you don't care about, we'll tell you why, you know, we're, we know, we're, we're addressing that. So pretty interesting. You can see exactly what they're targeting and exactly why they're targeting it. And then their last few here, they say, we will not require developers in our app store to provide more favorable terms to, uh, in our app store, other, over other app stores. We will not disadvantage developers if they choose to use payment processing systems other than ours, if they differ from the terms and conditions. So as long as they don't break terms and conditions, they can use other app stores or other means of, of using payment processing. So they don't have to again, give Microsoft money very very developer-friendly, very uh, libertarian, laissez-faire kind of uh, capitalist approach. And then finally, we will not prevent developers from communicating directly with their consumers through their apps for legitimate business purposes, such as pricing terms and products and services and offerings. So again, it's like as long as you meet our standards for, you know, not being spam and being a decent quality application, we'll let you put your game on our store and then monetize it as you see fit. We're being very fair. We're not going to hide Destiny and promote Call of Duty because we don't like one and we do like the other. And and this is some really, really important stuff. So they're talking about basically saying, we're not taking games away from PlayStation. We're not taking content away from gamers on other platformers and other platforms. And we're not propping up our content as we acquire more and more. We're not going to say, well... You know, we're going to promote all the Blizzard and Activision and Bethesda and Xbox games and then kind of push down the uh, MLB The Show and Bungie's Destiny because that would be unfair on your app store because you own too much of the market and you're pushing your products and hiding others. And they're saying we're not going to play that game. So clearly this whole thing is about appealing to regulators, appealing to government officials. And uh, I so, so here's the so what, right? It's like, okay, we've established that. So what's the so what? I think Xbox... And Microsoft are going to get away with this with absolute ease. I think this is going to be another one of those like lawmakers are going to eat out of the palm of their hands. Maybe the EU will give them a little bit of pushback because the EU seems to be the one that has the most knowledge and concern on these things generally. And the, the American politicians are usually just like, ah, I don't fucking know. What is this, Blackberry or something? And I, I think all in all, this this deal is going to go through. Basically, in best case scenario for Microsoft, and they're going to be able to do whatever the fuck they want because corporations are corrupt and they work with the government and they're in the pockets and they get to make all the rules and everything's unfair. But more importantly, because this isn't really a, a corrupt system, they're just fucking buying Activision, who cares? I think this deal is going to go through without a hitch. And it more importantly, it paints a picture for Microsoft where they now have the time to sit back and think of, okay, we bought Activision. We don't really have to worry about regulation too much because everything's kind of on autopilot for us. Now we have the time to sit back and figure out why the fuck did we buy Activision and what are we doing with them? And I think that's kind of what this is about now is clearing the path so they can figure out how to properly market and strategize with this thing they just bought instead of focus on whether or not it's going to go through, whether or not it's going to get improved, whether or not they're going to face you know any pushback. And to me, that's what this whole thing is about. But um, a little bit of a, a duller story with some really important news that, you know, if I'm just being honest, this isn't really my strong suit. So I'm trying to talk about it to the best of my ability, but bear with me because it is not really my 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 forte. Now, we'll move into the rest of the regular stories, which I think you will find them to be a little more in line with our regular run of news or regular commentary here on the xbox on podcast featuring al gore so this story kind of broke my heart a little bit this next one because platinum games is talking about being interested in working on scalebound again 
So, in fact, they're even talking about opening discussion with Phil Spencer, if he'd be interested in doing so. So, the action RPG famously was originally planned on Xbox as an exclusive back in 2017, but the game got canceled. And then recently, actually just a few months ago, we got from a Japanese interview with IGN Japan uh, that Platinum's president at Sushi Inaba, the vice president Hideki Kamiya, Kamiya, uh, were asked if they'd like to revisit the game, and for the first time they expressed serious interest in opening conversations with Microsoft. Kamiya said that he's always wanted to do Scalebound, so it would be like, so they'd love to have a proper discussion with Microsoft. Kamiya, who was the director of Scalebound, also added, quote, We did a lot of work on the game, and it's no use to Microsoft keeping that game in its current form, so we'd like to do something about it. Phil, let's do it together. Both Xbox and Platinum games have previously given explanation of what happened with Scalebound, but in recent months... Kamiya has moved to taking sole responsibility for the project's eventual cancellation. In a video on the Cutscenes YouTube channel published in November, it was explained how Scalebound came to be the way it was eventually um, scrapped. Quote, I loved Fantasy World since I was a child. I always wanted to make something around that theme. This is how I thought of a world revolving around a young man fighting together with a dragon. However, it was a big challenge for Platinum Games. We were working in an environment we weren't used to. We were developing an Unreal Engine, which we lacked the necessary know-how to build a game in based on the online features. The hurdles we had to overcome were very big. We weren't experienced enough, and we couldn't get over all the, the get over the wall, leading to what happened in the end. I'm sorry to the players who looked forward to it, and moreover, I'm sorry to Microsoft, who placed all their trust in us as a business partner. I want to apologize as both the creator and a member of Platinum Games. End quote. In 2019, Inaba told VGC in an interview that it wasn't easy to watch the publisher Microsoft re- uh, receive the brunt of the ire following the cancellation news. Both sides failed, Inaba said, and ultimately the game didn't do all the things that we needed it to do as a developer. Since Scalebound's cancellation, Inaba has been promoted to the company's president. In another interview after that promotion, he said that he'd like Platinum Games to work on larger, riskier projects now that he's in charge. Following speculation in 2020 that Scalebound may be in development again, Xbox boss Phil Spencer shot down the rumors and explained that the project was definitely dead, adding that there were no hard feelings with Platinum Games. So there's a lot to unpack here. I think basically the core of it is especially what gets to at the end there, which is that Inaba is now president of Platinum Games. He's the man in charge. And he's saying, guys, uh, Scalebound didn't work out because we were a little in and over our heads. It was something that we had never done before. It's an engine we weren't familiar with. It was a type of game we've never made before. It was risky. It was new. It was different for us. I would like to do more large, risky projects in the future. Sounds like you should have been in charge when they were working on Scalebound. And so now they're expressing interest in working on Scalebound. They got the right guy in charge on their end. The problem is for Xbox to go back and want to work on this is to say, okay, we're going to pick up where we left off. But the only thing that's really changed on your end is you guys acknowledge your shortcomings and that you would still like to work on risky projects like this. It would be on our dollar, Microsoft's dollar, you know, if they were to re-greenlight this project. So really, I don't see what Microsoft has to gain from this. You know, it's like if you're being a smart, it's one thing to let your emotion get in the way and be like, oh, yeah, we want this game. Platinum wanted to make it. The creatives wanted to make it. The consumers wanted to play it. Obviously, who doesn't want Scalebound? I thought it looked awesome. I'm sure many of you really wanted to play this game. It's a big bummer that this game never happened. But like if you're Xbox, it's like you got to think like a business. You got to think like a smart business like this game sunk a bunch of your time a bunch of your money and didn't materialize into anything what has really changed here fundamentally that's like okay yeah i'll give you another shot let's do this kid because 
again, the only thing that's changed is this guy who was previously in over his head is now the guy in charge, and he's saying, we want to do risky projects. It's like, okay, well, you you go to Xbox, and you show them how you've changed and how you're different, how this time it's going to be worth their money and how you can come in under budget or something and make this game work after all. It's just an impossible task at this point because it, it kind of starts to make Xbox look like the bad guys because Platinum's saying, yeah, we'll do it. Yeah, please let us do it. And the consumers are like, yeah, Platinum's up for it. Xbox, come on, do it. But to Xbox, it's like, this was never about whether or not Platinum wants to do it. This is about whether or not it was a good investment for us. So to see Platinum being outspoken and enthusiastic about returning to Scalebound is, of course, exciting because we all want to see it come to fruition. But it's it doesn't really mean anything's going to happen because, of course, they were interested and enthusiastic about it happening. They wanted this game to materialize in the first place. The only reason it got canceled was because at some point, someone, some bean counter over at Xbox, over at Microsoft, sorry, had to pull the plug and be like, hey, we are we are hemorrhaging money on this project and it is not happening. Like, we need to cancel this. We need to cut our losses and, and, and remove ourselves from this, this relationship. So until something on that end changes, I don't see how you can return to this. And yes, it looks like Microsoft owns the IP and whatever was developed there, whatever bit of the project they did have. So it seems to me like the best chance for Scalebound coming back is if they let a different developer use the IP somewhere down the line. But that sounds like something that would happen in a far distant future, not something that we would see happen imminently. But as for bringing Platinum back to do this game, I don't know. Obviously, Microsoft has the endless capital to let it happen. And if they can do stupid shit like buy Activision for $69 billion, they can obviously afford to hemorrhage money on a game like Scalebound. But it's not about can you do it, it's about should you do it. And from a purely economical, uh, business-centric standpoint, it, it doesn't make sense for Xbox. But man, I'll, I'll speak for many of us, you know, many of you when I say this, we'd sure love to see this game come back. I'm, I'm, I'm sure no one doesn't feel that way, right? All right. Next up, VGC reports, and I'm using VGC so much because they'd be so, they'd be so, but uh, VGC reports that Xbox will find it very difficult going forward to acquire major Japanese game developers should doing so remain a focus for the company. An analyst has claimed, on several previous occasions, Microsoft Game Boss Phil Spencer, everyone always calls him Microsoft Game Boss, Xbox Boss. Phil Spencer has expressed a desire to purchase an Asian game developer, saying, quote, in particular, a Japanese studio. In some ways, Microsoft taking over a big Japanese publisher would be bigger news than its plans to acquire Activision Blizzard, according to Dr. Serkan Toto, CEO of Tokyo-based game industry consultancy Content Games. While it's not beyond the realm of possibility, Nathan Brown's Hit Points newsletter notes that Microsoft's chances of acquiring the likes of Sega, Square Enix, Capcom were all likely slim for several reasons, mostly cultural. Japanese companies are traditionally highly resistant to being acquired from overseas, with many insulted from takeovers attempts in Japan. Sorry, with many insulted insulted from takeover attempts by a Japanese system called Kiritsu. Kiritsu sees a business group formed by member. Co- by member companies from different industries so that they can essentially look for each other because they own small portions of shares in each other's businesses, Toto said. And any attempt at a hostile takeover would be a suicide mission because everyone would leave instantly, adding, I would bet my house that this will not happen ever. In the highlighted culture and language barriers, plus the diversified business portfolio of key players, such as Konami's gym business and Sega's resorts, as further barriers to entry for Microsoft. Quote, nothing can be ruled out at this day and age, said Toto. 
But in some ways, Microsoft taking over a big Japanese publisher would be bigger news than the acquisition uh, acquisition of Activision. So far, no foreign game companies have been able to acquire a Japanese studio, and I can guarantee you that there have been attempts from both Western and Asian publishers. Japan's game developers have consolidated in the past, but as many modern publishers show, including Koei Tecmo, Bandai Namco, Sega Sammy, and Square Enix, this has been virtually entirely kept to domestic companies. As noted by Hitpoint's Nathan Brown, Japan was ranked last in a 2019 UN conference on trade and development for the amount of foreign direct investment in 196 countries around the world. Thus, if Japan's games industry is to consolidate, it will likely be it'll likely be to PlayStation's benefit, according to Dr. Toto. Quote, Sony, of course, has the home field advantage, and some of the challenges that would come up for Microsoft would not apply to Sony. It doesn't have to be one of the publicly traded powerhouses, but I believe Sony is at least considered making a move in Japan soon. There is a lot we can dig into this story. I had to just read that entire story because, first of all, it's all relevant and pertinent information, and it's very interesting shit. And I love the way they get into Sony because I think there's a lot to say there. Now, here's the thing. These video game analysts are usually pretty smart people. They know to, to work for a, a analyst consultancy firm, you have to be very in the know. You have to have many connections, many tendrils in the industry and know people and companies and trends and history to be able to pull these things together. These are not ideas that are pulling out of people's assholes. These are these are pretty highly educated determinations and, and, and inferences based on connections and history and, and reliable information. So I think that's the first thing to kind of preface with before we jump into this. But this is, this is, this kind of makes perfect sense when you think about it, because you think about all the times Phil Spencer's ever said, yeah, we really want to get stronger foothold in Japan. We really want to get stronger foothold in Asia in general. And then they're like, bought Bethesda, one of the most Western RPG studios of all time. Bought Activision, the guys behind like the most Western game of all fucking time. Motherfucking USA, Bruja, Call of Duty, shoot him in the face, go back home in your Ford F-150 and slap your bitch on the ass cheeks. Like, there's nothing less Japanese in this world more than Call of Duty. And and, and Microsoft's over here like, we really want to get uh, some of that Japanese market. So we're going to go ignore Sega, ignore Capcom, ignore Konami, and, and buy Activision. And I think this these analysts here have really great insight and bring up some really great key points. Now, I had no news of or, or inclination or any awareness of this uh, Kiretsu um, uh, kind of system or like cultural thing, but this is extremely interesting. This is actually something I kind of really love and respect about Japanese businesses is in, in a way they're more like in the spirit of like, true American capitalism than American companies are because they're like, they're really just like about like, Hey, let's build up our own company, our own culture, our own identity, and then work really, really hard to protect that brand and that integrity and, and that name and make it mean something. <laughs> and they're like, so we don't want to just consolidate and combine and add and be bought out for the sake of money, 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 growth, growth, growth. We want to really be deliberate in any kind of business venture. We, we, we become a part of whereas American companies are just like, fuck it. We know we're known for like Snow White and Mickey Mouse, but God damn it, we were we're gonna buy 20th Century Fox so we can finally put Home Alone on Disney Plus. Fuck you, you dumb idiot. You're gonna subscribe anyway. And I, this is something I actually really appreciate and respect about Japanese companies. Uh, but it it actually serves as a great 
under like um, as a great example of how we can understand the the challenge that Xbox is up against because we see that Xbox has a fantastic relationship with Sega they always have we see that Xbox has a really keen interest on getting more of a foothold in that Japanese market in particular we know they want China we know they want Korea but oh they can't get Japan China is easy all you got to do to get China is let them fucking invest in you they got all the money in the world they just want to be everywhere that's fine Korea's easier than Japan because Korea is just like, I don't, I don't fucking, they just, uh, in Korea, it seems like usually the winning tactic, at least historic, historically for gaming companies has been like, get really popular games as a service or multiplayer games, e-sport titles, you know, games that have like legs, you know, like League of Legends, Counter-Strike, any of these kinds of games, this shit's huge in Korea. And that's easy for Microsoft because Microsoft's really big into multiplayer content. So you add xCloud, you add Game Pass, and then they're already really strong multiplayer offering. Xbox is kind of perfect for the Korean market. But then you look at Japan, and it's like Japan is this, in a way, kind of a pesky market for Xbox because they've never been able to get in there. They've never been able to make a series dent. And actually right now with the Series S, they're doing the best they've ever done in Japan, and it's still really bad, all things considered. So this is obviously a huge hurdle for Microsoft. We've seen them get occasional support from Japanese developers like Scarlet Nexus was marketed on Xbox, even though it came to PlayStation 4. Obviously, Sega has done a lot of exclusive work with Xbox. We used to see like Shenmue was on the OG Xbox. Fantasy Star Online 2 is exclusive to Xbox here in the West. So like we we see this stuff like Blaze Blue on the Xbox 360 back in the day. Tales of what was the one that was on 360? Tales of Valencia. I'm going to say, is it, was it Valencia? Is that what it's called? So like we, we've seen examples, but Xbox has never been able to be like, boom, Japan, here's why you need our console. They never had Monster Hunter. They never had Pokemon. They never had Persona or anything like that. You know, these games, it's like, oh, that's how you get the Japanese market. And it seems like it's culturally impossible. Now, this obviously, this story should remind many of you of the now very, very famous story of back in the day when Xbox was in its infancy and a bunch of guys from Microsoft flew, like, reached out to Nintendo and said, hey, we're Microsoft, we're rich as dirt, can we buy you? And Nintendo famously took these guys from Microsoft, flew them out to Kyoto, and sat them in a meeting room, laughed at them, pushed them out of the office, sent them back to America. And like that's that's kind of like what we're up against in a, in a cultural way, which is that, think about it, it does make sense. You know, X, Microsoft is a very American company, very, very, very American company, huge language and cultural barrier there. Microsoft has almost exclusively the most Western games and Western teams you can think about, 343, The Coalition, fucking Bethesda, Treyarch. Uh, I can't believe I'm saying Treyarch and um, Infinity Ward when I'm describing Xbox teams. But yeah, like you think about these teams, like that is that is red, white, and blue. Turn 10 studios, that is like red, white, and blue till the cows come home. It's like this, clearly they have no in with the Japanese market, especially if you're talking about not so much the consumer, but... The, these companies, these businessmen, these these other teams. So, man, I mean, the, the closest Xbox has ever really got to like having a foothold in Japan seems like when Dead Rising had like all this Xbox association back in the day for whatever reason with uh, with Capcom. But I don't know. I don't know how Xbox overcomes this because we've seen how this works in America. Xbox says we need games. Xbox goes into their wallet, pulls out a trillion dollar bill, slaps in some American businessman's face, and they go, oh my god, money, I could probably buy an Epstein Island and become a terrible fucking person like Bobby Kotick with this money. And then they sell out, and then Microsoft gets bigger, and then Xbox is cool again. 
but that doesn't work in the Japanese market because we see this happen where it's like Xbox literally flew to Japan to see Nintendo and say, here is money. And, and Nintendo said, we don't care about money. Like we value our company, our products, our brand, what we've worked to accomplish and achieve. Like that means more to us than this short-term get rich quick shit that you have for us here. And so I, I don't think that Xbox has a way in because they're kind of a one trick pony when it comes to addressing their game, their game, this game drought issue they have. They have no support for the Japanese market or no substantial support for the Japanese market. And the one thing they have, which is throwing money at the problem, isn't working in this market. So I think at at this point, and this is this is crazy to say, the only thing Xbox does have is they have Tango Gameworks. As part of Bethesda, they somehow acquired a Japanese team, which is weird because Tango Gameworks somehow is under the Bethesda umbrella, but they have a Japanese developer. I think they need to use what little they have between their good relationship with Sega and their ownership of Tango Gameworks and say, how can we use these guys to kind of act as an in in the Japanese market and then start to recruit other notable talent in the Japanese games industry and try to form from the ground up a new kind of the initiative like team, maybe in Tokyo or something, and build it from the ground up and try to create a brand new Japanese studio. And maybe that's a little bit of a Western way of applying logic or a solution to this problem. But I honestly don't see what other choice Xbox has because, dude, I'm telling you, man, like fucking we talk about Activision. Xbox buying Capcom or Sega or Square Enix would have been way bigger uh, or, or way more of a necessary or helpful fit for the Xbox brand than just buying Call of Duty. Like, obviously, Call of Duty is going to make money forever and ever and ever, whatever. But if you're just talking about adding a diverse lineup of games to the Xbox platform, making uh, Game Pass a more attractive system, uh, platform and service, dude, get some fucking Japanese content in there. And we see that. Xbox definitely tries. They try to get Japanese content in there. You got the Yakuza games. You got you got Scarlet Nexus. You have all um, Final Fantasy games coming in and out regularly. You can see they're trying. They're trying. There's just so little they can pull from. So I think at this point... Really, the only option is to use what little support, what little tendril they have to the Japanese market and to try build from the ground up because this whole like buy now and, and just acquire shit thing isn't working for them in that market. And yeah, I know it's like it's not great to build from the ground up because it's like, well, how many years do you have to wait until you get something out of that? Well, I don't think Xbox has the luxury of weighing options. They really they're really kind of here with their hands tied. So I don't know, obviously anything could happen as the article and the analysts even point to themselves, you know, in this current ecosystem and this current climate where everything's being acquired, you know, who knows? Maybe tomorrow we wake up, Microsoft acquired Square Enix. The next day we wake up, Microsoft acquired Sega. The next day we wake up, Microsoft acquired Bill Gates. And Bill Gates is like, what What are you talking about? I, I don't work here anymore. I don't know, but this is gonna continue to be an issue for Xbox. And it's just funny to see them continue to talk about wanting to get into the Japanese market. And then the next day we wake up and they bought another Western publisher, another Western developer. And Sony has the huge upper hand advantage here because it's funny because in this way, if we're talking about the big three, Nintendo and and, and um, Nintendo and Xbox kind of have opposite problems where, where Nintendo has so much Japanese and almost no support from Western, whereas Xbox has so much Western and almost no support from Japanese. The problem is it's better to be a Nintendo situation than Xbox's situation because if you're Xbox, Japanese developers don't necessarily give a shit about your platform. But if you're a Nintendo, 
Western developers look at you and they respect you because Nintendo means something and people really respect Nintendo and really appreciate Nintendo and really want to be a part of that. So there are a lot of Western developers that want to work on Nintendo, even though traditionally Western Western titles aren't the big sellers on Nintendo platforms. You know, N- Nintendo games are the big sellers. But PlayStation's kind of in the perfect sweet spot where Sony is a Japanese company. PlayStation was created, incubated, and made in, in Japan and, and brought through into the world from from Japan uh, with some help from Europe and, and America, but mostly Japanese product that came from Japan. But as we've seen PlayStation evolve over the years, especially as we get into the PlayStation 3 and 4 generation, you've seen how Sony of America has really completely taken over the brand and taken control of the product from Sony of Japan, where PlayStation operates as a very Western company because all of their core teams and development talent are in like West Coast United States for the most part. And their headquarters of Sony of America are on is in the West Coast United States. So California predominantly is where we get all the Sony that we know as like premier PlayStation but PlayStation is still at its core a Japanese team. So it gives them the best of both worlds where they have the in with Japan. That's why you get the exclusive Final Fantasy games. You get the exclusive um, Final Fantasy VII remake and you get you get like Persona games, even though Sega has a great relationship with Xbox. When it comes to Atlas products, PlayStation gets all that. You still see things like you know, Monster Hunter before it ever came to like modern consoles. You saw it on the PSP and shit back in the day before it went super hardcore into the Nintendo space because PlayStation is was the home of JRPGs. PlayStation's a very Japanese console. And so now they get to be the home of the best Western games with God of War and Spider-Man and Uncharted, but they also get to have all the respect and partnership with the Japanese market. That is a huge upper hand advantage Sony has over both Nintendo and Xbox. And I really don't know how you overcome that. So again, I think the only really option for them at this point is for Xbox to try and incubate in Japan and build something from the ground up the way Sony had to do all those years ago when at some point, you know, PlayStation and all that shit had to be a brand built from the ground up for the, for the Japanese market and for the Western market. So I don't know, man, it's really interesting to think about, but um, I'm sure Microsoft will just fucking buy Ubisoft or something instead whatever. Anyway, next up, let's get to our penultimate story of the week here where Satya Nadella, and this is, this is not a huge one because the first story we talked about, I think this is going to kind of play into, I guess what we were talking about earlier. But Satya Nadella, has, CEO of Microsoft, has said that the company's planning on planned acquisition of Activision Blizzard is motivated by its desire to build the next internet. Quote, the next internet. That's the buzz key phrase of this, of this story, of this article. Ooh. Xbox's parent company revealed last month that it intends to acquire Activision Blizzard for $68.7 billion, as we all know. It was announced that the company said... The move, which will give it ownership of franchises like Call of Duty and Overwatch and Crash Bandicoot, will accelerate the growth of Microsoft's gaming business across mobile PC, console, cloud, and will provide building blocks for the metaverse. Here's where we get to the part I don't like. All right, while there's no universally accepted definition, the metaverse is a network of 3D virtual spaces where users can socialize, play, and work, and some envision it as a successor to the mobile internet. In its first interview with Activ- since the Activision deal was announced, Sachin Adela discussed Microsoft's vision for the metaverse. Quote, Metaverse is essentially about creating games, he told Financial Times. It's about being able to put people in places, things, and physics engines and have and having all the people, places, and things in physics engines relate to one another, you and I will be sitting in a conference room at a table with either our avatars or our holograms or even 2D surfaces with surrounding audio. Guess what? 
the place where we have been doing this forever is gaming. And so that way we will even approach the system side of where we're going to build for the metaverse. And where it is essentially democratized, the, where it will essentially democratize the game building and bring it to anybody who wants to build any space or have any essential, essentially people, places, things digitized in relating to each other with their body presence. During Microsoft's Ignite 2021 press conference in November, Nadella described franchises like Halo, Minecraft, and Flight Simulator as their own metaverses. In some sense, they are 2D today, but the question is, can you now take it into a full 3D world? And we absolutely plan to do this, he told uh, the FT. To me, just being great at gaming building gives, it, gives us permission to build the next platform, which is essentially the next internet. The embodied presence. Today I play. Today I play a game, but I'm not in the game. Now we can start dreaming through the metaverse. I can literally be in a game, just like I can be in a conference room with you all in a meeting. The metaphor and the technology will manifest into different contexts. Finally, another one would be the context of a very different business process. If you look at a retail or construction business. That's also like you can create a digital twin. You have a factory and you're trying to visualize how to simulate its operation. That's also a game playing exercise, except you're not playing a game. You're trying to simulate how the factory functions. So if, if you'll remember, that's actually exactly the, uh, the um, example I was giving when we were talking about uh, Metaverse a few months back, where it's like, imagine yourself in a VR with a VR headset on and you're at a mechanic shop, right? Let's say your car's in the shop. And the mechanic shop is 20 miles away from your home and the mechanic reaches out to you, but it's not like a phone call. It's like in the metaverse, right? Whatever you go in the metaverse, you're like, I want to check on the status of my car. So you put on your headset, whatever you go in, you click on Joe's auto body shop, whatever in this metaverse. And you're like, Hey, Jesse, I'm here to check on the status of my 1987 Volkswagen Beetle. Uh, what's going on here? And they're like, Oh, well, it looks like a, a squirrel jumped in under the hood in eight, your radiator and uh, your exhaust hose and your timing belt and your and your Lightning McQueen horn sound. So we need to go in there and replace it. But, you know, if you're on the phone, you're like, I don't know what any of that means. I'm stupid. But if you're in the metaverse, it's like, imagine you have your headset on. And it's like you're actually at Joe's auto body shop and you're seeing a representation, a model of your car. And he pulls up the hood and you're looking in the hood and he's pointing to the things that are wrong and broken. And obviously, maybe this is a bad example if you're talking about, you know, my car's in the shop. What's wrong with it? You probably wouldn't need to do that. But let's say you are a student uh, learning about you're you're in a uh, automotive mechanic program at a school at an institution and you're learning about mechanics and stuff and your instructor is pulling up the hood of this Volkswagen and showing you all the parts and what the issue is and where the parts go and what's connected to what and it's like a visual hands-on learning experience that's the point of the metaverse is it's like well how do you build these spaces how it's video games how do you build any kind of virtual space? It's video games. You take an engine like Unreal Engine or whatever, and you fucking make a video game. And normally you pick, you pick up an Xbox controller or a Switch controller or whatever, and you play the game and you roll the credits and you shoot the bad guy in the head and you win the game, whatever. In the metaverse, you use the same development tools as if you're making a game, but it doesn't have to be a video game. It can be a meeting space, a boardroom, whatever. And this is, I don't know who's going to, if metaverse is going to be a thing that just pops and bursts and goes away in a few years, who knows? But my, this is how I was trying to describe metaverse a few months ago. And this is why I think Microsoft has the clearest vision or marketing for what metaverse is and why they're best suited to take this shit head on because they are the premier tech company when it comes to productivity in the workspace and in industry like that. And they are also Oddly enough, coincidentally enough, very heavily invested in the games industry. And you need the the know-how and the and the ability and the design 
capability of gaming to apply to the workplace, which is like two of Microsoft's really big strong suits. We see companies like Facebook also really trying hard to get into metaverse. Well, one thing they have down pat is the social aspect, obviously with Instagram and Facebook, they are some of the top dogs when it comes to social spaces, which is also really important for metaverse. But why is why was Facebook's foray into this about video games? Because, well, because they needed VR technology and all this shit to get into the into the metaverse thing that they wanted to do. And so buying Oculus, getting into gaming, getting into VR, that was kind of their in. That's why they bought Oculus. That's why Oculus exists. That's why Oculus Quest is such a low barrier to entry kind of product is because they want people to buy it and understand it and use it and get addicted to it and it, for it to become a part of their lives. And so the, we see this come up a couple times now since the Activision acquisition where it's said that a lot of this is about the metaverse. So we see Sony saying how Bungie wasn't about gaming. It was actually about Sony Pictures. It's about movie and TV, movies and TV, and about having talent be able to teach our, our company things that, you know, we don't know, how, how to help us improve our, our shortcomings. Well, this is kind of Xbox's equivalent excuse for why they bought Activision. We didn't buy Activision because we just want Call of Duty and make money off video games. We bought it because the metaverse, because we want that talent. We want that games industry talent. And I think that's probably where the premium is right now on why the cost of getting talent and getting studios and getting game developers is so expensive and worth so much right now is because as we see this, you know, obviously the metaverse isn't a thing until it actually manifests and becomes, right? But you know, it, it could happen. It could not happen when you're as rich as Microsoft or Amazon or Apple. You can afford to fucking throw money around and try to make this happen. The thing is, we're on the next frontier. We we did the computer, you know, the desktop, the personal computer, the laptop. Then we did the phone. And now a lot of companies are looking at this metaverse, which is just a buzz term to explain this vague concept of what these companies are going after. We're seeing a lot of these companies treat this as potentially the next frontier for how we engage and interact and interface with the digital space right so that's all this is and um it's interesting to hear this because obviously our focus on this activision deal is going to continue to be centered around xbox and game pass and video games but if you're talking about microsoft the company that fronted the 69 billion dollars they're talking about metaverse they're talking about workspaces they're talking about new ways to interact in the virtual space with work, with play, with uh, productivity, with life, with day-to-day. And they're related yet seriously unrelated. And it's it's a thing we got to consider here, which is just that a lot of this talent's being bought up. A lot of these studios are being bought up. A lot of the industry is consolidating, but not all for the same reasons and not all for the sake of trying to be the top dog in the game space. And you don't have to believe this this response from Satya Nadella. You could say, bullshit, you're just trying to consolidate the games industry because you want to have a bigger piece of the pie so you can grow Game um, game Pass. Yeah, that's probably partially true. But, I mean, this uh, this metaverse shit, as annoying as it is to most of us, it's, it's a thing. We have to deal with it. It's here. It's now. It's a thing that people are going to be talking about and going to be pursuing for years to come. Whether it pans out into anything substantial or not has yet to be seen, but... At least for the time being, this is something we had to deal with seeing in the news. This is something we had to deal with people trying to shove down our throats. You know, maybe it's like the next iPhone. We all get excited about it and we actually care. Or maybe it's just another thing that comes and goes and it's really fucking annoying. So let's wrap up with, I don't have too much to say about this, but I thought this is, obviously this is pretty indirectly related to Xbox, which is that PlayStation this week finally revealed the release date for Ghostwire Tokyo. 
The game is coming out March 25th, which is kind of like, ooh, what? We've barely seen or heard anything about this game, and now it's just it's just here. It's coming. Okay. Um, the PlayStation YouTube channel uh, it, it aired last week, late last week, a Ghostwire Tokyo official showcase that was like a 20-minute video. showed a lot of like uh, developer behind the scenes, like making of kind of stuff, and a lot of like deep dive gameplay footage explaining what the game is and the mechanics and everything. I will say I, I skimmed through this video. I didn't want to watch too much of it because I just don't like watching extensive gameplay videos of things I definitely plan on playing. But I got to be honest, a couple things. The fact that this game, we've barely heard anything about it. It's been delayed. We haven't seen much gameplay. And Sony doesn't seem to be very excited about it. It just seems like this thing where Sony wants to get rid of it because now that Xbox owns Bethesda, there's some stink on these games and they don't really care about this. And Xbox seems to just want to get it out so they can get it over to Game Pass and over to Xbox. Now that's their studio and they want to free them up from having to work on a PlayStation exclusive game. You know, there's there's a lot of like that going on where it's like, is this game broken? Is this game bad? Is this game just not getting the proper attention it needs? Like what's going on with this game? It's concerning. But then we saw the gameplay and I got to be honest, this game looks freaking awesome. This game looks really freaking cool. A little bit horror, a little bit Tokyo kind of actiony crazy game where you get to use like elements and and powers to just like knock the shit out of stuff and fight demons and crap and it looks very frenetic and frantic and fun and crazy and stylistic and the world looks awesome this game looks seriously seriously cool and i gotta be honest as much as i I didn't give a shit about death loop it's a game that i will play when it comes to xbox because i want to give it a try but i have no real interest in it ghostwire tokyo is a game that i'm seriously jealous that I had to wait a whole year for it to come to Xbox, especially considering Xbox owns the team that's making this game. And speaking of Japanese content, this is the kind of cool shit Xbox needs to have exclusive to its platform to be like, yeah, here's some Japanese representation on our platform to get you salivating a little bit about what Xbox has to offer the Japanese market. But unfortunately, this game is exclusive to PlayStation, coming first to PlayStation for a full year. But hopefully we can see this game be successful and see Tango Gameworks be able to continue to do really cool shit like this game for Xbox in the future once they start making their next project and exclusive content, you know, going forward. Tango Gameworks is clearly going to be one of the teams that makes exclusive games for Xbox and PC and Game Pass. So there's really no... Nothing to be discussing here going forward about if any more stuff is going to be coming to PlayStation, but man, this game looks so cool. I really encourage you to go check it out if you had any kind of faint interest in this game. Um, my only concern is, again, because they they were so whisper quiet on it and they delayed it and they never showed anything, and now they're just like, oh yeah, by the way, here's the game. Oh yeah, it's coming out in like two months. It's like, I, I got to assume this is because PlayStation is just like at this point... Well, fuck this. We paid for the exclusivity of this game, and then Xbox bought the studio that made it, and now they're going to bring it to their console. And like this, this is a bum deal for us. And I feel like PlayStation just kind of wants to get it out of the way now, and that their main focus is like, whatever. We got Horizon coming up. We got a new Gran Turismo game coming out in a few months. So like, we, fuck this game. We don't need this. That that's got to be my assumption. But I really hope this isn't a sign of like this game is a promising concept, but it's a really broken game. I hope this is a is like we're just bitter about this acquisition and therefore we're not going to promote this game. But it's a really fucking cool game. You guys are going to love it because against the odds, Deathloop ended up being like game of the year for a lot of outlets. So maybe that's what we're looking at with Ghostwire Tokyo. I don't know. There were some behind the scenes rumblings with this game. Obviously, it lost its uh, director. The excuse was that she got pregnant and had to leave the studio. Although you know that's that's not. It's not really a conventional reason for someone to leave. So we, we don't know. There's a lot of, this is one of those games where it's like, if this game comes out and it's it sucks, it's broken, it's not fully realized or finished, 
we have a million things we can point to that are like, well, yeah, the writing was on the wall. They wouldn't talk about the game. They wouldn't show the game. Then they just kind of squeezed it out last minute without really saying anything. And it lost its director halfway through development. And it was just this whole thing with this game. A million things we can point to. But if this game comes out and it's fucking awesome, then it's also the story of like, well, yeah, PlayStation didn't want to promote this fucking game because Xbox basically bought it in the middle of development when it was going to be a PlayStation exclusive, and they probably just don't want to promote this com- this competitor's game anymore. It just really doesn't serve them any purpose. And uh, fucking awesome game, by the way. So I'm really excited to find out. We're not going to have to wait long to find out whether or not it's good. Um, we're just going to have to wait, you know, about a year before we can play it on Xbox. I, I might cave and just buy this game on PC, if I'm being honest. It looks like it looks that cool, but it pro- probably won't. But uh, yeah, that's Ghostwire Tokyo. And that's going to do it for our news this week, guys. We are through the news. But before we completely say goodbye to news, let's let's talk about two, three very quick, uh, important enough news stories. These are stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions. First of all, the EGC is reporting that Activision Blizzard's confirmed plans to release a Warcraft mobile game this year, 2022. A year ago today, or a year ago this week, the publisher revealed a multiple uh, that multiple free-to-play Warcraft games uh, were in development for mobile. In a quarterly earnings call uh, published this past Thursday, the company said that at least one of those games will be released in 2022. Next up, DICE has delayed Battlefield 2042's next update, which will introduce a refreshed scoreboard, among other features. Originally scheduled to launch in mid mid to late February, Battlefield 2042 update 3.3 will now arrive in March. Now, early March. Now, this is the update that's supposed to introduce scoreboards, like proper full-fleshed scoreboards to the game. Like, you know, one of the most fundamental basic features of a shooter. So, I don't know what's going on with that game. It didn't feel and look broken when I played it, but apparently that's a fucking mess. I just don't understand what's going on with the game. Finally, VGC reports that an HD remaster of Colt Square RPG Chrono Cross has been announced for Xbox and Steam. Announced during the Nintendo uh, Direct earlier today, actually, Wednesday, the day I'm recording this. Chrono Cross, the Radical Dreamers edition, will be released on April 7th and will also come with a remaster of the Radical Dreamers Les Tresor in their something French. This was originally exclusive to Satellaview, a Satellaview add-on for the Super Famicom in Japan, and was a text adventure detailing more than Chrono Cross storyline. This marks the first time the Radical Dreamers has been available in any language other than Japanese. So this is like some really deep-cut, old-school content that we're getting access to, and the fact that this is coming to more than just Nintendo or Nintendo and PlayStation is actually astonishing. Now, I have no interest in playing this, but like, I'm really pleased to see this actually coming. And may- hey, maybe I'm part of the problem. Here's Japanese content coming, some deep cut Japanese con- content coming, and I'm not supporting it on Xbox. So here's the problem. But uh, no, it's really cool to see this happening. I know there's a lot of really passionate uh, fans of this franchise who are going to be s- insanely excited to see this kind of shit coming, not only to Xbox, but just to the West in general. It's insane. So. Also, Phil Spencer won a Dice Lifetime Achievement Award. I whatever. I meant to talk about that, but like I don't, I don't care about that kind of award stuff. Dice, BAFTA, it's all game award shit. Uh, that's gonna do it for all of our news this week, guys. Real quick, there are a bunch of new games coming out. Xbox Wire has shown 17 new titles hitting Xbox this week. We're not gonna go through all of them, but I did want to point out a couple notable ones. One in particular, I'm very excited for. Uh, so just real quick, here's some notable ones. Ali Ali World is out on February 8th. It is Series X and S smart delivery optimized as well, so definitely worth taking a look at. Apparently getting pretty good reviews. Breakout Recharge is coming February 10th. That looks very good if you like a good Brick Breaker game. Here's the game I'm most excited for, though. Crossfire X. The day you're listening to this, Thursday, it is live. It is finally out. 
I don't have high expectations for this game's campaign at all, but I'm absolutely going to play it. I'm going to put Far Cry on ice to play this game because this is, as you will remember, the Smilegate Korean developer popular multiplayer free-to-play FPS Call of Duty style game. But it's getting a, it's this is the new version of it, and it's coming with a campaign being developed by um, Remedy, the team behind Alan Wake and Control. And I cannot wait to see them attempt a military FPS shooter. I, I think that's going to be insanely interesting to see how that goes, and I cannot wait to jump into that this week. So highly recommend checking that out. Edge of Attorney is out February 10th. Apparently JRPG people are kind of into, so pretty good to check out if you're looking for some JRPG content on your Xbox, which is always hard to come by. And then Oddworld Stranger's Wrath HD comes out February 11th. Definitely a notable entry, but uh, I'm going to say that's it in terms of notable entries this week. Now, as a reminder for Games of Gold, for the rest of the month, you can download Broken Sword 5, The Serpent's Curse. Who the fuck knows what that means? Aerial Knights Never Yield is not available until the 16th, but once it is available, it will be there until March 15th. If you haven't downloaded Hydrophobia yet, do so immediately. It is only available until the 15th, so get that while you can. Apparently, that's the best game on the list, but I don't even know what that is, really. And then lastly, Band of Bugs will be available February 16th to the 28th, a Kinect game. So, well, an Xbox 360 Avatar game, rather. So, yeah, download those games. Pretty weak lineup, but some interesting shit for historical context. And that's going to do it for our very long episode this week where I ranted and talked about nothing and no one paid attention because they were probably too busy picking their nails or playing Angry Birds on their iPhone 12X minis. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Remember, please do follow me on social, Twitter at Jesse DeRosa. Follow the Xbox on podcast. Leave a five-star review on, on iTunes and on Spotify. And subscribe to the podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash xbox on podcast and then finally i do have another youtube channel where i'm making original videos they're funny they're silly we're just having a good time youtube.com slash lightning extreme the same as my twitch name and uh it's a, it's a lot of fun we're getting about two videos a month you know weird little videos getting between like 50 and 100 views really nothing special but i'm putting a lot of work into them they're a lot of fun making and, and those of you that do check it out seem to have a nice little lull with these five minute youtube poops essentially and uh, it's, always, it's always a good time. So be sure to check that out, guys. And uh, until next week, stay safe, eat some delicious food, play some fun games, and power your dreams.
in this world.